Welcome to Money Making Conversations. It's the show that shares the secrets of success experienced firsthand by marketing and branding expert Rashawn McDonald. I will know. He's given me advice on many occasions, and in case you didn't notice, I'm not broke. You know he'll be interviewing celebrity CEOs, entrepreneurs, and industry decision makers. It's what he likes to do. It's what he likes to share. Now it's time to hear from my man, Rashawn McDonald. Money Making Conversations. Here we go. Welcome to Money Making Conversation. I'm your host, Rashawn McDonald. You heard the man. Each Money Making Conversation talk shows about entrepreneurship and entertainment. I provide the consumer and business owner access to celebrities, CEOs, entrepreneurs, and industry decision makers. It is important to understand that everybody travels a different path to success. That is because your brand is different. The challenges you face in your life are different. So stop reading other people's success stories and start writing your own. Now, you can be motivated by your success because your stories can offer direction and help you reach your goals through your proper planning and your committed effort. The Money Making Conversation interviews provide relatable information to the listener about career and financial planning, entrepreneurship, entertainment, motivation, leadership, overcoming the odds, and more importantly, how to live a balanced life. That's what this show is all about. I got two incredible guests. They're live in studio. Let me introduce them. First time meeting, but I've... I feel like I know him because I've seen several episodes of this hot new series on NBC. My next two guests are live in studio, like I stated, from the Luke. I'm just going to give it like one credit and attach it to their names. Uh, from the Luke Cage, a Netflix series, he plays Simon on the NBC midseason drama Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist. And from the Glee TV series, he plays Mo on NBC's new midseason drama. Yeah. Oh, just a peace sign? No, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Mid-season drama, Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist. They are both talented entertainers, but they are also driven by their causes to create change. Alex Newell is a powerful voice in the LGBT teen community worldwide, and John Clarence Stewart is an advocate for the evolution of black and brown men and the innocence and education of black and brown boys. Please welcome to Money Making Conversation, two of the stars of Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist that airs Sunday night on NBC. John Clarence Stewart and Alex Newell. Yes. So how do I learn how to make money? Because <laughs> you ain't broke. He, so, I'm not broke. Somebody uh, not broke. I'm not broke. <laughs> I already told you about my bag. Uh, I, you did. Three of them. Three of them in three different colors. But, yeah, from London. Okay. Uh-huh, not, from not, London. You're not just going to go to Macy's and get that bag. Can't nah. go to Macy's. So just, let not you Linux? Know. You're not going to go to Linux? No, no. Okay. You just keep going. <laughs> you keep going. But get on a plane or know somebody. I know, know somebody. Know some people. Let's <laughs> get on a plane and know hey, somebody. That's right. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I get all my, as they say, uh, they, uh, my, my suspenders. Uh, uh-huh. They come from London. Oh. Uh-huh. As you can do, I, I love my clothes. You and I also lo- love London. I, 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 <laughs> well, you know, that's one of my cities. Now, uh-huh. I, I, Paris I'm is a, another one. I say. If, I, if I had to do it all over again, team, uh-huh. I, I probably would live in Paris because uh-huh. I love New York. And mm-hmm. Paris reminds me of New York. Mm-hmm. It's fast. It's great food. It feels very community driven. And so I probably would have lived my life out in Paris. Mm. So, but I've lived my life out in the United States. I love it here. I lived in Chicago. That's where I did a Steve Harvey's talk show. Mm-hmm. Or we launched it up there for five years. I love the cold. Lived in Los Angeles for 15 years. I'm a, I'm a Houston, Texas homeboy, straight out of Fifth Ward. Okay, uh, Fifth We're now based in uh, Atlanta doing this uh, incredible uh, money-making conversation uh-huh. talk show. Uh, one of my clients, you heard him earlier, that's Stephen A. Smith. He I'm his businessman. He ain't broke. <laughs> you got a trend going on here. And everything's good. So so when I bring individuals on the show, the, the thing I love about both you guys is you're dynamically different individuals, but you're achieving the same success, changing the world. And, the, and you're, you're from an entertainment perspective, the show, we'll, let's talk about the show Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist, which airs on NBC. I've seen the first three episodes. Mm-hmm. And Simon, your character, you know, um, 
you know, which I love about it. I'm going to tell you a little bit back about me. I'm an old school guy. I love, I grew up watching Oklahoma, mm-hmm. Doris Day, I love to death. These are, so I'm a big musical guy at heart. Okay. You know, uh, in, in, in middle school, I played the saxophone, mm-hmm. B-flat clarinet. Okay. So I have a music background. Now, mm-hmm. I can't sing. My daughter is taking singing lessons. I don't know where she got that from. She said, Dad, I'm going to take singing lessons. Okay. Mm-hmm. She went and took a singing lesson. The guy said, Come back. I said, okay, that's good. <laughs> he said, come on, come back. So that was again a good sign for my daughter. Good uh, sign for my daughter. So both of you guys are, are, I have to say, professional singers. So starting with you, John, uh, uh, leading that you have done a lot of physical activity, a lot of action shows. How did you get involved with this series? Um, I got involved with the series uh, through Jane. She plays lead. Absolutely. Um, we worked on a show together called What If in the cast. At that time, we were all out having drinks one night, and uh-huh. um, she brought up this show that she was working on. And uh-huh. she said that they were looking for a guy to play this role. And then a friend of ours said, John, do you sing? And I said, yeah. <laughs> and she said, do you sing? I said, yeah. Uh-huh. And then she wrote something on her phone. And then the next day, my agent reached out to me and was like, John, do you sing? I said, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Somewhere along the line on your resume, singing is not on your resume. I mean, it's just it's just not at the very top. Right, right, um, right. And so. <laughs> really? No, no, no. I'm a former actor, so I know you put all those skills down there. Spanish, you know, I can cycle motorcycle and then singing is down mm-hmm. there oh singing i singing is on the resume uh-huh. um because i've done a few i've done a musical or two uh-huh. um not in a grand scale <laughs> i haven't done broadway right, right um right, right, i did right. a show called choir boy here in atlanta back in the day right right um but uh at that time uh, my agent sent me the script and when mm-hmm. my agent sent me the script mm-hmm. i read the pilot and right. it moved me um right. i lost my my pops 13 years ago mm-hmm. and so for me uh, the concept of the show, um, Zoe, played by Jane, being able to hear people's heart song and know what they're emotionally going through, right? Um, really connected with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Simon going through this grieving process is something that I feel is so unique and so specific and something that I could bring something to. Right. Um, it's something that black men, black boys, mm-hmm. um, black and brown alike, mm-hmm. men in general, everyone mm-hmm. needs to have uh, more examples of people giving themselves permission to feel and um with this with this construct you know there is no mask you know what i'm saying Mm -hmm. and so Mm -hmm. much of what we do in the world is wear masks Mm -hmm. um and austin brilliantly created this this show where we're getting to the heart of everyone which is the thing that connects us all i think the emotional world true i'm gonna just let you know that I am thoroughly impressed with this script. At first, when I got into the series initially, I went, okay. But after the third episode, I am I want to see four. I want to see five. You just wait. I, 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 I'm I just blown away. And then Alex, the next door neighbor who plays the music loud, the the every episode you have a different hairstyle. Of course, every scene I have a different hairstyle. <laughs> yeah, I go through five or six wigs and an episode. Mo. You play the character yes, Mo, the DJ, Mo, the DJ, the eccentric, eclectic, loudmouth. Right, right, right. Yes, right. but how I got onto the show was, um, and you come from Glee. I come from Glee, mm-hmm. and so with that, the casting director of Glee uh-huh. um, pitched me for this show, and right. 
um, I had an audition for it and then it got canceled and then I went straight to test uh-huh. and then I read the script and I was just like, oh my God, this is me right. because mm-hmm. it was all about what my love of music is. Mm-hmm. And I've been singing since I was two years old. Right. Um, and in Boston, I, in Boston, right. well, Boston, Alabama, my mom and my daddy from Alabama. Right. And so when my grandfather, my grandfather, my father died when I was six, my mother used to ship me to Alabama each summer. Mm hmm. So I really learned my roots. <laughs> um, and um, it's very culture shock going from Boston to, to uh, Cottondale, Alabama. I, I know about it. Hello. About yeah, Cottondale. All okay. right. Mm-hmm. Not even All right. in the city. That's all we got it. There's one street light, my One street whole street light. Like, and, Cottondale? Yeah, I've been there. Bro. And right. a whole Waffle House. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Um, my love of music, of growing up in church and doing Broadway and um, being a recording artist, it really spoke to that side of me, especially after Glee ended. Mm. Now, you know, the interesting thing about that, I, I saw a video. I try to do even depth. I try to learn more about the individuals who I talk to. Like, in one interview, you, you listed Jane as your friend. Yeah. You know, off, and, and it's a relationship that started on the show. Talk about that. You said you knew her from another show and you guys were uh, out and then she told you about the series. And I always talk about relationships. How did how did your relationship, friendship with her, Jane being the lead character on the show, Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist, and Alex, your character is Mo, Mo on the show, the, mm-hmm. the eclectic, uh, the outlandish, <laughs> the over-the-top DJ. Yes. How did that relationship move off the off the uh I guess the screen into real life. I guess it started off screen before it went to screen. I mean, when we were in Canada, we spent more time together outside of the show than we did on the show because we don't spend a lot of time with each other working all the time. And we aren't in the same scenes all the time. And I think that's how we cultivated a working friendship. Mm-hmm. I think I've had so many dinners outside of the show with just Jane right. and just talking and getting mm-hmm. to know each other. Mm-hmm. And it makes everything on screen that much better. Authentic. Because, yeah. Mm-hmm. And because I'm hanging out with my friend mm-hmm. and we're mm-hmm. just saying lines. Mm-hmm. And that's what I take away, John. I look, you, you play a, a kind of semi love interest because she doesn't know. Well, no, 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 no. Come on now. I know you, I know you the referee, you know, she goes <laughs> from, uh, you know, Simon to what Max, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you know, she's always, you know, you know let, let, let's talk about that because talk you don't, because you have a fiance on the show. It's so, you know, this is the semi, you know, you're right. Right. So a you don't really know what's going on, but, 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 but Mo kind of knows right. what's going on here. So, yeah. so you're the innocent bystander in there because like I said, let, let, let's, let's set up the series correctly. Okay. Because Zoe's character, she goes in for an exam. I won't give it the series away. And out of the exam, she's, she's struck with the ability to be able to hear people's songs that are affecting emotionally at that moment. They, they can break out in a dance. They can break out into a, a solo. The whole coffee shop can just start dancing. Mm-hmm. The whole street can just break out into a whole number. and But nobody's seeing it but her. And when they stop, they just start walking off. <laughs> and so so she's really caught up in that moment. And so so that's really important when you, if, once you buy into that, you'll see it's important because the way her family dynamic is structured with her father his disability, her mom, and it established lanes of communication. But it also established the relationship she starts with Mo, and then when he starts breaking out just in a solo at the desk, that that yeah. builds the relationship there. And it so does. with that being said, John, how does that play out for you? Because, you know, you're, you're playing a character, you don't know what's happening, and you're just being you, but, but you... You kind of do you are you sensing any type of emotional connection other than work or she relates to your sorrow with your dad passing in the series or what? I think the the word that comes to mind is intimacy. 
Mm-hmm. And I think it's an intimacy is sometimes born over a long period of time and sometimes born in a moment. Mm. Um, when people, when someone has an experience that's very unique, like losing someone and being in the process of losing someone or having lost someone themselves, mm-hmm. there's a, there's, it's like being in a dome and, and no one else is in the dome but you. Um, no one else's life is different but yours. Right. And then when Zoe um, confides in, when Zoe says what's going on with her father, um, Simon feels like there's someone else in the dome with him. Right. Though he has a fiance, she's never lost anyone. And right. that's a very specific kind of uh, experience. And it, and, it, and it was subtly said there, mm-hmm. you know, like, because when you meet the fiance, she mentions the word wedding. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, that little couple of sentences that you have with him make it feel like that relationship is kind of shaky. That was good writing right there. Yeah, it, it looks. You know, that's it, was the like, thing. It, it was like the door was open. Oh, mm-hmm. maybe, maybe. She might be sliding over to Zoe. Zoe might have a shot. Because I, I thought Zoe heard that in the series. Yeah, yeah, Because yeah. you go, oh, okay. Because remember she, you know, she had the two ice cream cups and mm-hmm. she threw them in the trash when she realized that she was a fool for thinking there was an option here because it wasn't an option. She overthought the situation. Mm-hmm. Then she runs to dear friend Mo over there who kind of trying to figure out what's going on mm-hmm. with this yeah. music thing. Why do you believe her? Um, I think Mo at first thought this was just like a fun game. <laughs> right, 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 right. I genuinely think that Mo thought this was like a fun game. Like, oh my God, come here, crazy white girl. Let me help you out. Like, oh, I'm really high and this is funny to me. <laughs> but I think, and then as it grows, you learn that everything that Zoe is going through and saying and telling Mo is very true. Right. Like it's not like she's making things up. She's like hearing these songs and then it's correlating to the person. Mm-hmm. And so you can't help but believe her. Right. And I think that Mo knows that without Mo, Zoe would be very lost in all of it. Because right. there is she Zoe doesn't have a relationship with music. So she doesn't know which what the songs funny, meant. Which is actually funny. Yeah. You know, because she claims, she, she screams at you about you playing loud music. Yeah, but she doesn't know anything about it. Right. Especially when she said that this she is giving this it gift. was Whitney Houston. Where she can just see people singing on yeah, the spot. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's wasted on it. Wasted. <laughs> wasted on it. Wasted on it. Wasted on it. And you say that too. I do, a you lot. You do say that a lot. A lot. <laughs> that should be the blessing should have been passed to it you. It should have been bestowed on to Not me. Not a tone deaf person. Hello. Just... <laughs> Let's talk about Glee because Glee was a groundbreaker. Yeah. I watched Glee. Mm-hmm. I'm watching Zoe. Mm-hmm. I will tell you, I love Zoe. Mm-hmm. Enjoy Glee. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to tell you why. The characters have so much pain and then you have uh was lauren graham uh-huh mm-hmm. she's from the gilmore girls yes mm-hmm. she is a character you get it exposed mm-hmm. and um mary steen mary, mary, mary steen Steen-Bergen. Steen-Bergen. yeah yeah she plays the mom uh-huh. yeah. james mom on the show yeah of the father uh, he's a he has a neural illness uh-huh. where he can't speak along the way he starts to Communicate much much better mm-hmm. yeah. in the series, and that's why this music plays a, such a vital role because it forces people who you thought you had no way of communicating or understanding them mm-hmm. and guiding them through the right paths to mostly get them right on the right path. That's why I'm falling in love with this series mm-hmm. because you know you can you know let's let's put it this way: if you just did the show at the office, it'd be a good show. Yeah. Is when you go to her. Oh, family, yeah. 
when you go to her her mom and and um you know I uh, you know I've dealt with my mom passing away. You know, mm-hmm. as people get old, they never pass away the way where you want them to pass away mm-hmm. because they physically, you know, they they diminish physically. Mm-hmm. And so, and knowing that, I've, I've seen how how that it affects people. And then in this situation, it affects her mom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And even though she's in denial, and I think that is really important. It's very relatable. I think to anybody who would watch the show, Absolutely. the music is just a bonus, mm-hmm. but the storytelling is amazing. So each, each one, you can talk about that. We'll start with you, John, then move with Alex, because the storytelling, that's, that's such a beautiful story. You guys are telling every Sunday night on NBC. Absolutely. And, I, you know, the credit for that is that's Austin, man. That's the, that's the creator of the show. And, and he, I mean, the show is based on his life. Right. You know? mm-hmm. and, and I think there's a, there's a, specificity and an authenticity to the story because it's coming from that soul space right and you mm-hmm. can't you can't mimic that you can't um you can't conjure that up it's just it's there or it's not mm-hmm. and when something is so specific i think it makes it universal um and it hits the vein or the cord or the, the nerve and right. i think that's what you feel right yeah right. Mm-hmm. that's that, that's the same way that um that's the way that like looking at my mother right after mm-hmm. my father uh, passed away um looking at the way that she is her life is being how she's navigated things, how she's held us together, how she's tried to um, maintain a sense of normalcy and then finding a new normal. Right. You know, it, it, all of those things. And that's are that's in. important because that happens mm-hmm. with uh, Mary's character. Mm-hmm. It's is is accepting the responsibility that she can let go. Yes. And she can ask for help and not feel like she's diminished her responsibilities. Absolutely. And uh, there's a very key moment in episode three. That uh that plays out that definitely uh sets sets the course of that relationship in a very positive direction because it was spiraling spiraling downhill mm-hmm. in, a, in, a, in a horribly uh bad way for the family dynamic Absolutely. you know and I like you said there's some some scenes some episodes coming up that I'm gonna get even more. Are excited about in the future. So oh, episode four. So Mo, you, that's your character, mm-hmm. that Alex, that you play. You play the character Mo, the, the, the DJ. Tell us about when, when somebody gives you a character like that to play. Uh, do you do or do you do you limit what you can do with it, or you say, or you go to the producers and say, okay, what do you what do you want? What do you want me to give you with this character? I think it's a combination of both. I I always want to be like. What do you need from right. me after I right. give them what mm-hmm. I can give them mm-hmm. and then change whatever they want, depending on mm-hmm. the scenario or the topic? I think um, when I first had a meeting after the show got picked up, um, it was so we have this confident character. Right. <laughs> very confident. Very confident. Where is the flaw? Where is the humanistic quality? Where is the realism, how do we make this character more relatable other than just being at 10 and confident all the time? And I gave them a plethora of ideas of things about where my flaws personally come in about being confident all the time. But I mean, I, and when I'm handing, handed a character that is so larger than life, it's, it's always a challenge mainly because it's so hard to be at a 10 a majority of the time and not be like a, trope or a Jiminy Cricket or a magical Negro. So right. mm-hmm. it's, it's nice to like go in with the expectation of I can do all of that, right, right. but I would like more of than right. that. Right. And I, and what are the ways that we can get there? Well, you know, the interesting thing about your character, well, both of you guys character characters, because they're, they're distinctively different, but they play important roles in the series. One, one is emotionally guiding 
that's your character. So I'm mostly guiding potentially Jane's character, Zoe, into a direction where she doesn't even know. She's just mm-hmm. trying to find herself because she's in denial with another lead actor on the show, mm-hmm. one of my favorite guys from the Pitch Perfect series. Mm-hmm. When I saw him, I went, I like this show because I really like him. He's a very talented guy Absolutely. as well as an outstanding singer. Absolutely. And then and then you have your character, Mo, where you're trying to figure it out too. Girl, make a decision. Mm-hmm. You know over here, this is not... And then, and then the series third, episode third, the episode uh, three ended with, well, I guess it's Team Simon now, <laughs> you know, because of the fact that you are playing a referee. And mm-hmm. then when I look at your character, you say it's always on 10, but it's always on 10 because you're never right all yeah. the time, you know? So, uh, so that's your flaw. You know, you give out the information. That don't mean it's the right information. Exactly. So that's a flaw. When you walked in the room talking about I got these three ideas and all three of them were crazy, uh-huh. <laughs> none yeah. of them made any sense, especially number three. I thought, why'd what, what you, what you even think well, of number three? Number three. Well, and so these are the, well, I can't give away the series. I'm just, I, I'm talking generic and I got to talk generic so everybody, what is Rashawn talking uh-huh. about? Number three? I got to look at episode three to find out what number three is. I got to find out what Team Simon is. I got to, who is that other dude? She, the pitch perfect guy. Who is he talking about that, that character? <laughs> That's right, on Sunday nights. Season. Zoe's. It's starting their playlist. It's an incredible series starting. Two of my friends here. See, we, we keep elevating. You know, yeah, elevating. my good friends, you, friends. You, you know, I can't wait family. to have my bag. <laughs> family, get your bag. Family, get your bag. Come on, let's get to my level. No, we're not, we not getting that. We're not getting that. Because <laughs> my executive producer will beat me up. So, oh, okay. Let's okay. talk about, I, I started the show talking about uh, uh, what you guys do off. In your, I say in your real world, you know. Yeah, and that committed effort. Mm-hmm. I'm a passion guy. You know, yeah. I always feel, I always pay it forward. Uh, uh, I'm being, forward, I'm, I'm being honored in my school uh, this Sunday at halftime because I'm making a big endowment mm-hmm. where every year, you know, it's, uh, three African American students who have scholarships mm-hmm. uh, in the, in the um, STEM programs mm-hmm. forever. You know, it's, it's set up that way. I died and they'll throw a lot of dirt in front of, on my face and they'll still be giving away these three scholarships. And so that's part of the process. That's one of the things I do. HBCU, uh, you know, we set up last year. We registered 1,200 students on the spot, gave away almost $4 million in scholarships. Mm-hmm. So when I hear individuals who, we know how busy each one of your lives are, but still stop, pump the brakes and go, you know something, I got to do more. What drives you, John, in your cause? Or causes. Well, the, I think for me, what drives me is the things that have been struggles in my own life. Yes, sir. Um, and realizing that I, I want to be able to give boys the thing that I didn't have. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're an Atlanta boy, right? I'm an Atlanta boy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And my father was also, he was steeped in the community. I mean, he started up a chapter of the NAACP in Gwinnett County. Mm-hmm. Um, and my mother still runs it. And he, she works at Emory right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Growing up, I think that I didn't have, there wasn't a focus on emotional intelligence Mm -hmm. growing up as a young black boy. Mm -hmm. And as a black man, I think a lot of my process through going to therapy and different things like that Mm -hmm. has been acquiring the vocabulary for my inner world and learning how to make changes that are sustainable Mm -hmm. in my life. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of boys don't have permission to do that because Mm -hmm. there's this idea of manhood that they're trying to hold up, which means they sacrifice parts of themselves along the way. Right. And they just, a lot of times they just need to know it's okay. They just need to see someone experiencing a thing that they feel Mm -hmm. and see that, oh, it's possible to do that. I'm human. I'm not less of a man. That's which is awesome. Now, Alex, when you look at your life, I mentioned... uh, but also, you're, you're, I'm a cancer survivor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when I read about you, your involvement with the American Cancer Society, 
What connects you with the American Cancer Society? Um, my father died of um, mm-hmm. cancer when I was six. Mm-hmm. And so it's just always been a part of my life. I just um, recently lost my best friend's mother mm-hmm. to cancer at the mm-hmm. beginning of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, and the pastor of my church died of cancer. My best friend's mm-hmm. uh, mother died of mm-hmm. cancer right around the same time as my father died. Mm-hmm. And it's just always been this luminous fear of mm-hmm. what cancer is. Mm-hmm. And I never wanted to have that fear follow me the rest of my life. So I got very involved in it all. When you say fear, what do you mean when you say fear? The fear of, fear it of just what cancer is and just being so scared of it rather than trying to beat it. It is. I, I always tell people when I was informed I, I had uh, cancer, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's immediately the word death mm-hmm. dominates your conversation because I don't, you don't hear about, you don't, you're not concerned about survivors. No. You just worry about, that's a finite moment in your life. And I tell people all the time, you know, just be prepared. Live your life. That's yeah. why I, I'm going to tell you something. That's why I love talking to you two because, you know, I go through the resume. I got the success as an, inter- as an entertainer, like success entrepreneur. I always like to dig deeper and what are you doing? What's the balanced part of your life? And you guys have a balanced life. And so, and we know we're all going to go. Mm-hmm. And so when it happens, how do you feel? And I, and I tell everybody when it was, a, when the doctor announced it to me, I was shocked, but you know, I didn't, I didn't tell my family. Mm-hmm. I, I just, I just, I just took it all in. Mm-hmm. And, and when I, when I finally took it all in, I was comfortable. Mm-hmm. If this was it, I was comfortable because yeah. I know what life I had led. I knew the type of people I affected. Yeah. You know, I drank all the water. Mm-hmm. You know, you gave me a glass of water, I drank it. I didn't leave no water. You trying to get a drink after me? You just be drinking <laughs> an empty glass, <laughs> okay? And so, and that's why I tell people to live your life. And so, so I just wanted to, you know, we're here to promote the show, but I want to tell you both: don't stop. You know, mm-hmm. don't stop. You don't you drain it. You know, squeeze it and live the life and be you. Mm-hmm. And it's important. And, and it's always great to have a, when I have two opposite individuals who are doing, doing things from a different perspectives but achieving the same goals. And that's changing this world because mm-hmm. we need so much help. And you don't have to put names on who's altering the cause of it because it's sometimes it's so, it's so organic. There's somebody right next to you that needs that support. And so don't change. Don't change. Don't, really, don't Thank change. You. Thank you. And, uh, I, you're not family yet, so you know, you're good. Dag nabbit. Where's my bag? Dude, I just want to let y'all know. That was a good speech I gave y'all. You I, did. I thought it, it was enough. enough and you it wasn't enough family. to get a bag. I can tell you that. But you know how they look. Ah, <laughs> 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 oh, look. Frozen fingers. She's getting up. She know we about to get this interview. Okay. <laughs> I got my two other stars. My man, John. Alex, woo! We just out here. I still want my bag. I know. Yeah, you, All you, I want you, is my bag. Send it to me. I'll give you, you the address. If you, your, your hairstyles was amazing. Uh, thank you. If, but you didn't myself. change it. But you didn't change your hairstyle in this interview. If you would have changed your hairstyle, because you changed it every episode. You changed it every scene on that show. You know that, right? I do know that. Gotcha. Thank you very much. <laughs> I know that. I know that. Okay, cool. Zoe's extraordinary playlist. I got two of the stars. Guess what? They big time in the community, big time on the screen. Every Sunday night, check it out. I will be watching it. It's my show. It's a show that uh, makes me feel good, makes me think about my life. Also, it gives me values that, guess what? It's going to be all good. Mm-hmm. My next guest, they on the phone right now, coming all the way up. I'm based in Atlanta, but they're coming all the way up from South Georgia, starring in a new TV show on National Geo entitled Critter Fixers Country Veterinarians. The show follows the lifelong friends. They're lifelong friends who happen to be veterinarians and who happen to be African-American veterinarians who operate Critter Fixer Veterinary Hospital located 100 miles south of Atlanta. I told you, they're coming up. They're they moving on up for this interview. Please welcome to Money Making Conversations. My friends, I'm calling my friends, Drs. Hodges and Dr. Ferguson. 
Hey, how y'all? Hey, glad to be here. <laughs> well, okay, now, you know, we all know, listen, first of all, to my understanding is you have to go to medical school to be a vet. Is, is that correct? We do. Correct. correct. Right. So, so it's really harder to be a veterinarian than just to be a, a, a general doctor, huh? It's right. hard to get in there. It's, yeah, only, it's only 31 veterinary schools in the United States. So, you know, here in the state of Georgia, there's only one, and there are about 100 slots. So, you know, I mean, you think about it. If In the whole state of Georgia, um, you, 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 you competing with, with the whole state just to get those 100 slots. But Dr. Ferguson and I attended the only HBCU veterinary school, which is Tuskegee University. Now, here's the thing about it. It's Tuskegee University. It's in Alabama. It's a right. uh, HBCU school, Historical Black College and University. That's what HBCU stands for. Um, and I am on a mission, a part of just just campaign, just to bring more attention to HBCUs, to let people understand that the value of a of a quality education that being provided by HBCUs. Tell us uh, your take on your HBCU experience. Started with you first, Dr. Ferguson, and then Dr. Hodges. Yes, we, we, we definitely value HBCUs because we went to two HBCUs. We attended Fort Valley State University undergrad, and we attended uh, Tuskegee University School of Veterinary Medicine uh, for our DVM. Sometimes you need that, that HBCU. Sometimes you need that little extra nurturing and, you know, support in order for you to reach your dreams, you know. Everybody's not cut out or everybody may not want to go to the larger universities. You may not get the the love and the hug and the extra support that you need. Right. Myself, I have a family that has a history of HBCUs. So, so for me, it was a no-brainer because right. I could see the things that they had achieved and, and where they got their start, and I knew definitely that was something that I needed and wanted as well. Okay, now, Dr. Ferguson, now I can, I can hear the Southern drawl in your voice because you're a Southern boy, right. you know, straight yes, out of sir. Georgia. You know. Now, your sidekick there, Dr. Hodges, he's out of Connecticut. Let, let, let's, let's hear him talk a little bit and see if he's picked up that Southern drawl, too. You know. I, I see you've done your research. I, I, I got to. I can see. I was, look, was, this, this, was, hold on, hold on. Hold on. Hold on like the, you hear right there, right there. You hear that voice difference? Voice higher. Yeah. yeah. Words a lot clearer. Yeah, that's Connecticut right there. <laughs> Connecticut right there. Don't let it fool you. Don't let it fool you. I did spend <laughs> all of about a month in Connecticut according to my mom. So. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. So you so you made your way down to the south. And, you, and, 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 and I've been a country boy ever since, you know. And uh, speaking of our HBCUs, Fort Valley and Tuskegee, they prepared us for the world. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, and that's the beauty of it because, you know, as a student, I wasn't quite ready to uh, – to kind of even maybe even be a college student at the time. So, you know, they have, they have people who will reach out at Fort Valley and kind of give you the, the learning and give you the tools so that you can realize what it takes to become a college student and, and go ahead and, um, and be a success story. So, I, you know, I, I can't say enough about Skeegee and Fort Valley. Now, 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 Dr. Ferguson, the, the name of your city, I don't want to mess up that name. Was it Talbotton? You're a native. Was that Talbotton? Or Bot- it, it, it's pronounced Talbotton. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I'm and, sorry. And most people don't know I'm, where I'm, it is. I'm just telling you something. Don't you? Don't you? I, do it. I, I don't what, care. What, 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 I don't care about the name. Talbotton. There's name about 500 people that would know it. So you got. He could have let me roll. No, it's Talbotton. Yeah, so it's very small. When I when I talk to kids, I always ask, "Is about know where Talbotton is?" 
no one knows, of course. Right, so right, I always right. tell them it's, it's near Columbus, Georgia. We have two traffic lights and a caution light. <laughs> I love it. I love it. But I love the way you corrected me, though. You could let that road through, you know, tap. Oh, uh, hey, we have to get our due when we can get it, man. You know, we, we don't get in the limelight too much, so we want to make sure when we get it, we can we can, we get it right. Well, you know, I, like, this is what I love about you guys. Okay, first of all, personalities just just ooze through the airwaves. So, and now, now when you're dealing with animals, you know, and you're dealing with horses, you're dealing with cats, you're dealing with you dealing with pigs, you're dealing with dogs, you're dealing with uh, cows, you're dealing with all kind of animals coming to the so so the, the show that we're talking about. That's what we have you on the TV on our, my show to talk about your show that's going to be premiering yeah. on the National Geo. Now, I watch the National Geo anyway because they have a show in there called the, the Fish Tank Kings. I love those guys. Right. You know? so and, they, and it's Nat Geo Wild, so we make sure we get it's Nat Geo Wild. Nat Geo Wild. So you, so you, yes, sir. So I'll make sure you, know, you can correct me now. This is your show. This is your moment now. So what, what, not, we want to make sure they're, they're on the right channel. We want to make sure they feel. Right. You know what I'm saying? Don't let Rashawn McDonald <laughs> give out bad information. People looking around. No, go, well, no, 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 no. I didn't mean that. I just oh, that's sure what you meant. That's what you meant. opportunity. We want to make sure they don't miss it. No, you're, so you're used to correcting people. I ain't a pig now. You just can't talk to me any kind of way now. I'm not just <laughs> oink, oink. <laughs> hey, we, can't, we, can't, we can't do the fitting like we do it in the country. Huh? <laughs> right, right. Yeah, right, right. Right, oh, this is going to squeeze my tail. I'm going to go, oink, oink. <laughs> <laughs> well, well you, you, hey, you look at this next episode. We castrated the camel now. We, 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 hey, we can do it all. <laughs> <laughs> I love you guys. So, so here's the here's the fun part about it, okay? Because I don't want to brush over what you guys have accomplished before we get to the TV show. Because you know we talk about you know Tuskegee, a school what I would not have a, a thought to be a school, but it isn't. It, it is an agricultural college, correct? It is. It is. You know, here's here's a story, right? Here's a story, and we haven't talked about this much, so we're gonna kind of give you exclusive. I I only talked to a couple kids. So here, here's the thought. So Booker T. Washington, we all learned about Booker T. Washington. The peanut. Back in the day, Booker T. knew that a physician, uh, you know, white physicians treated white people, black physicians treated black people. Right. Mm-hmm. He knew that uh, a white farmer wouldn't uh, let you treat him. Mm-hmm. But he also knew that the most important thing to a farmer was his mule. Right. So if, if, if you, if, so if you trained a veterinarian, because we didn't have uh, combines and tractors, but a veterinarian was very, he would let a, a black veterinarian tweet his mule. And that was his most important possession. Right, so right. So he knew if he started that vet school in the deep south, he could send veterinarians all over the country, and they can help these farmers and earn a great living. Right. And that's, what's ha- that's what has happened. That's yes. what has happened. Now, the, that, I always say that because now, let's talk about this whole process because of the fact that, like, like we spoke earlier about you have to go to medical school to go to veterinarian school. Now, right. what 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 what's the drive to to take care of animals or to see animals healthy, to make sure they're you know because my daughter, my wife, uh, you know she her first dog died of cancer, and it just mm-hmm. knocked her out, dude. I mean she was done you know for a while, and because I, I know you know me you know my I I'm, I'm just be honest with you when my dog died when I was sixteen I I, I don't get attached to animals anymore because that hurt me so bad. I walked out there Skippy was laying in the yard. He was done. I went no. Right, right. I, I'm not gonna cry like that no more. So I don't get attached. So, so, but I know that there's an emotional attachment. There's a work part of the relationship that you can have yes. with animals. There's also that 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 childlike, that family like attachment. So when you in when yes. you're dealing with the care of these animals, just talk about that process there. 
Yeah, that, that, there's something that we learn in school that's called a human-animal bond, and it's real. There's a bond between your pet or your animals and us. We, we, there's a bond. There's unconditional love that you get from your pets and your animals. Yes, and it's something that, you know, it, it, it's not necessarily tangible. You can put your finger on, but it's definitely there. And we see it every day. So when we see our clients and our patients, they're not like animals that are just coming in. They're members of the family, and that's how we treat them, and that's how our clients treat them. They're members of the family, and they will do anything for them, and, of course, we will too. And I think it's something that we're born with, you know, the love for animals and want to make sure that we, we're going to take care of people and we're going to take care of animals. And that's why he and I are, are in the profession that we're in today. Well, you know, it's a beautiful profession. Like I said, that's why I'm willing to share my my journey that, you know, I, my attachment to my dog, you know, when he died, yeah. it just it shook me up so bad. I said, I'm never. So we've had several dogs and my wife always, why, why don't you play? I said, no, 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 that's your dog. Cause I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to go there no more. Okay. I take care of whatever you need dog food and all that. He can just hop on my lap, but uh, please get him off because I'm not going to, because I know what it can do to you. Like I so said, that bond that you can create. And I saw how it mm-hmm. shattered her. When he when he died from cancer, you know the dog died from cancer. So, right. that, that, but that's that journey, that attachment. So it was when I was going through your bio, it was some interesting story. You know, you get to you get to learn more about your guests when you go through their bio. Like for instance, uh, right. Doctor Hodges, he wanted to be Jacques Cousteau. Now I'm telling you, I want to be Jacques Cousteau. Let me just help you. Let me, let me explain to everybody Jacques Cousteau. Jacques Cousteau was a man. He <laughs> he dove in the water so much his skin got wrinkly. You didn't even recognize him no more. He would he was an underwater guy. He would go out there and see the whales, the sharks, the little fishes and everything. Jacques Cousteau was my man. I'm gonna lie to you. Jacques Cousteau yeah. I'm gonna tell you in in high school, I wanted to work offshore because of Jacques Cousteau. So when you when I saw Jacques Cousteau in your in your bio, Dr. Hodges, I fell in love with you. I said, he a man hey. after my heart. Jacques Cousteau. I was almost him. I'm, I'm telling you something. Because people don't know about Jacques Cousteau. Because, see, you just can't have a Jacques Cousteau conversation unless somebody loves Jacques Cousteau. I love me some Jacques Cousteau. So, Dr. I Hodges. I do, too. Hey, that's what I'm saying. I have, I have done those things. I have my scuba license. I, I went in and swam with fish and uh, the whales. I also went over to Nepal and developed a whole fish project for a whole city, in a city called Pokhara, Nepal, when I was 19. So you know, I've I've had a fish farm. I've done all stuff with fish. I am a fish guy. Uh, you know, I thought that was gonna be me, but you know, <laughs> I, I ended up being a critter fisher. So I, that worked. That's just as good. But who knows? I might pull out the old scuba gear. I, I, oh, where you gonna pull the scuba gear out in South Alabama? Over there by Columbus. What, what mud? Like, no, dear, what lake you gonna, gonna go? go? In the river. I'm gonna show y'all we'll do, some big catfish. You gonna go up there? You know, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go into my 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 Jacques Cousteau mode. I'm gonna be like, hi. I'm gonna, that's when that New York that, that Connecticut gonna come out. I'm gonna say, hi. I'm Doctor Hodge, the Black Jacques Cousteau, and you follow me to these mud puddles of Central Georgia, and we're gonna get some catfish. I'm gonna tell you something, Doctor Ferguson. Please, yes, sir. please stop letting your, your doctor be stupid on my show. Okay? It, oh no, no, nah, nah. please, please don't let him hey, do that. You wanted the real. That's who he is. <laughs> Yes, sir. He out there, yes, he, he out there scuba diving in two feet of water, sliding along the mud, grabbing catfish with both hands. That's what he's trying to tell That's me. It. Be doing. It's called noodling. It's noodling. It's called noodling. <laughs> no, no, no. Hey, that is I'm not gonna use, noodling. I'm gonna have you my, do not. My fins and everything. 
no, no, no. You do not noodle with. I'm a country boy. You do not noodle with Scooby Gear. You take your butt well, down there. We're, we're making it high tech. We're going to you know, high tech. It's a new thing. <laughs> Let me tell you about noodling. See, noodling is the craziest fishing in the world. What you do is you go in the water by, by a little bit bigger than waist deep. And then you mm-hmm. just stick your hands in the banks. And you just be noodling for a fish, a fish that was probably bigger than your arm. And you grab that fish and you pull it out. That's what noodling is. It is women noodles, guys noodles, kids noodles. I, that is a sport that I could never do. But he talking about he going to go scuba, guy, scuba diving and noodling. You do not yeah. noodle with snorkel fins, snorkel mask, snorkel tank. None of that. I know there's such thing as a snorkel tank. But I got carried away. I'm sorry. Now, that, now, now, I'm I, I might have I'm to sorry. check your pocket. I think he might have a good country card. Because you know a lot about being a country boy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about being a melanated doctor. Oh, yeah, okay. But he know a lot about being a country boy. I okay. think you, got, uh, you have your country card in your back. Now, let me go over you, Dr. Ferguson. Because I didn't find yes, nothing sir. interesting in your bio. You know, maybe you just holding out on the brother. I know you're a family man and all that good stuff. But please. Please let me know what is so interesting about you that they put you on TV against the very interesting Dr. Hodges. He's a personality. He got all the good stories. He's a funny guy. What do you have to he fussy from up north too? He don't stay there for a month, but he came on down here and joined us southerners. <laughs> Tell us about it yourself, there, Dr. Ferguson. Well, well let, let me let me ask you a question. You ever you ever seen a a black guy on Kodiak <laughs> Island? hunting for bears and, and fishing and staying out there for a month in a remote area and with, with, no, with, no, with no water, no running water, no electricity. Just on the island with big, with the largest bears in the world. That's you. That's you. That was me. Now, what was, what was your crazy behind doing out there? Okay, that first one I want to know. Okay. Okay. So, Talk- so in undergrad, we talked about uh, HBCUs and yes, the opportunities that um, and the nurturing they give you. Yes, sir. Well, a summer in um, when I was in undergrad, I worked for the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. Oh, great, great, right, right, right. There in your bio, I did read that in your bio. Yes, mm-hmm. sir. Mm-hmm. So, um, one summer I worked in Alaska, and I was in uh, Kenai, Alaska, and saw Dartna, Alaska, and on Kodiak Island. So, what we did was we had a fish weir um, on Kodiak Island, and we were studying salmon. Right. And the big deal is, you know, when salmon are born in the little small streams, they live there for a few weeks, a month, they go in the lake, they go in the ocean, and they stay in the ocean for three or four or five years. After that, they come back to the same stream that Isn't they were amazing? born in. That's amazing. They lay eggs, and they die. Mm-hmm. So what we were trying to figure out is, how do they know where to come back to? There are, there are several lakes. There are a lot of lakes. There are a lot of streams. Mm-hmm. Now, when I say stream, it's not as, as wide as a car. Now, I don't mean a big river. Mm-hmm. But they find their way back, all the way back to that area to spawn, which is lay eggs, and then they die. Mm-hmm. So I was out there for a whole month, and we were studying bears and wolves and eagles while we were out there, and I'm the only little black guy out there, you know. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know until later on. My mother was kind of nervous when I went, and I, just, I couldn't understand <laughs> why, but now that I'm older, I understand why. Yes, yes, sir. She wanted to know why was her baby way up in Alaska. Yes. She can't put her hands on him. Yes, He's sir. in the bushes yes, running sir. around with bear. Yes. You know, it could have been the last time she saw me. Absolutely. Uh, I agree with her on that. I agree with her on that. Now, let me ask you this. Did you figure out why they, they, they have the ability to do that? Because I've, I've, I've seen well, that documentary several times on how Salmon well, is there, able to there do that. There are a couple of reasons that really, that really the research was still ongoing. Mm-hmm. But one is moon phase. The other one was what we call the salinity or the, 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 the basic ingredients, the thing that's in the water. Mm-hmm. Um, 
draw them back to that certain area. It's a it, that's really amazing because they have to fight through bears. They have to fight through uh, sw- they swim upstream, correct? Correct. Yes, you're correct. Yes. And uh, just watching so they that go upstream to go to the ocean, but they have to fight their way back upstream to get to um to those little creeks. And it's, and that it's, they were born in. Because I, I, I spent some time in Alaska, and so I know that's okay. uh, that's a, uh, you know, because... Man, man, you ain't spent no time in Ola. Oh, oh, see, 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 doctor, I'm talking to Dr. Ferguson. See, see, <laughs> see how you going to go bust into our conversation like that, doctor? This ain't we TV. A, we, hey, this ain't we TV. We had a real nice conversation, bro. <laughs> we have you know, why don't you go with your little koi fish, your little koi fish over there. Just go play with your little koi fish or your little koi form you got on your little property. That's right. We're talking about salmon over here. We're not talking about little koi in the backyard. Koi fish, you, know, back here, you ain't paid a bunch of money for a little fish that just swim two feet to one side of the... Two feet one side, two feet the other side. Then he point over there. You see my koi? You see my koi? A little fat, ugly fish. <laughs> yes, sir. Oh, I love y'all both. Well, let's, let's let's talk about the show. Tell us, tell us about the show. Set us all up. Because we're not through yet. I'm just going to just talk about the show, make sure we give some time so people can understand you guys are big personalities. You're very talented. How did they discover you guys to put you in a television series? So, yeah, I mean, the big thing, we are in rural Georgia, but the thing about, about with social media is it doesn't matter where you are. If you're good, people will find you. So this guy reached out to me from New York uh, with a produ- with the production company at Hit and Run and said, hey, Doc, uh, I want to put you uh, on TV. And, uh, you know, make and, and, and share your story. And I ignored them, of course, because I thought it was spam. But, you know, after a while, we did get a dialogue and talk. And then I was like, of course, you know, Critter Fix is me and my partner in crime. He's like, of course. And uh, I called Dr. Ferguson. And I did the same thing he did. I ignored him. <laughs> Why am I surprised? All y'all do is talk to animals all the time. That's what I say. Y'all bossy with them animals. Just, just shoot. Well, sure, that's, that's what we do. That's, 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 that's the talent God gave us, that we can take care of some animals, you know? Absolutely. It doesn't matter. We critter fix it. We tackle them all. Big, small, it. it doesn't matter. Now, when you say oh, big well, or small, you, did you not use the word? Did you not say the word camel? Camel, yeah. The next episode this Saturday night at 10 on that deal, Wild, people will be able to see a camel. Uh, this camel was used, it's used in... Um, Nativity scenes, and he was getting a little frisky in the nativity scene, so we had to remove some humps. <laughs> now, y- y'all took away his manhood. That's what you said? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he-, he was really going away in the maze. So <laughs> he was having his way in the maze. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we had to, we had to stop that. <laughs> what you doing? What you doing with your child? Go. Mama, what's going on with the camel? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, we, the last thing you need is something dangling in the main off the camel. So, Absolutely. <laughs> camel. Now, I, I'm sure if that camel could talk, he has something to say to y'all right now. Oh, he was, oh, he was trying to talk. Just tune in. He's he trying to talk to us then. Every day, hey, before we did it, every day for that camel was... Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. So, so now that's the the biggest animal. So, what is the smallest animal you guys are going to work with on the show? A spider. Huh? Did you hear? You heard that right? A spider. A spider. A spider. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. See, I would never think that would be something that a vet would work on would be a spider because I would think that if you start working on it, he's so small, you would kill him. No, nah, I mean, we didn't, we didn't, this was more husband, husbandry, how to take care of the spider. 
Right. Because, it, you know, people pay a lot of money for these big spiders, and so you got to teach them. Sometimes this particular spider wasn't eating as much as the guy thought. Right. But he was doing the web. But the big thing is he, he was in a smaller enclosure, so he didn't need to eat much. So after explaining, that spider's still doing well. Oh, okay. So, you know, so, 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 so you guys do, like, a nutrition? Yeah, nutrition, everything. Nutrition is, is the big part of everything. So, yes. Right. And so when you look at, when you, let me ask you this. Where you are located at right now, why did you pick that location? So we're both country boys. I mean, literally, my You could have done it in Atlanta. Is, you know, you could have done it in Atlanta. Probably, right? It is, it is. Yeah, we could have. Yeah. But, I mean, I'm going to be honest with you. We was poor. We right. tried to get Harris. What was the name of that place? American Heritage? American Heritage. Right. It was, uh, what was it? It was in... Snailville. Snailville. So we, we tried to get a um a spa clinic here in Snailville. Right. Um mm-hmm. and uh I mean unfortunately, you know, we went to we didn't have much we didn't know much about finances at the time. We didn't know how to buy so we had no credit, no finances, right. no money. Right. And of course we was denied for that loan. That's the best thing ever happened. Okay. So we ended up going back home. We rented an eight hundred square foot tank shop. Eight hundred square uh, feet. Eight hundred square feet. Eight hundred square feet. We went and bought wood from Home Depot. I'm just telling you guys, my first apartment was seven hundred square feet, so I know exactly. Y'all was a hundred right. square feet in my studio apartment. Right. Okay. And we we built that place out. We built two exam rooms. We built a little surgery room, and um, we just used our skills. I mean, we went around. We big bars. Some we bought like used equipment. We went over to what was that Huntsville? Gaston. Gaston. We went to Gaston, right? And we bought some cages. And I guess the guy felt sorry for us, and he gave us an x-ray machine because we didn't have one. This x-ray machine was a World War II x-ray machine. World War II. But it worked. <laughs> but it worked. <laughs> I love it. But it worked, though. As long as it worked, That's we right. good. We good. Now, I'm trying to figure it because I just told everybody, I know exactly how big 800 square feet is because my first apartment yeah. was 700 square feet. Now, he had put right. an x-ray machine in there for World War II. He had put a little yep. surgery room in there. Now, they didn't went and got some cages. Now, did the people just walk through the front door right to the surgery? Because I don't see no area for a little reception. <laughs> we we had a very, very small reception area, maybe two chairs. Two chairs. So they come in, that's sitting in there with the chickens, sitting in there with the dogs, sitting in there with the little pigs. So that's how it all started. How, were you using credit card? Did they did they barter you for food? or What, what was going on in those early years? We had very humble beginnings. Yes, sir. I can, I can remember when Dr. Hodges and I, got our first check it was less than a hundred dollars but if you saw the smile on our face right it was worth a million dollars right because that was our beginning right um but things did move pretty fast for us because within four months we started a second location uh yeah, franchise so you franchise things moved fast you know god was good he blessed us mm-hmm. and and we're we we, we love our community like mm-hmm. i said our communities are small but we are members of our community yes, which sir. means that we're a family. Right. They treat us like family. We treat them like family. They've been awesome to us in our area, and that, and, and it shows in the growth that we've had. Right. So, right. Um, well, it's a trust, though. It's like like you were stating earlier. It's like you, you learned that in school, uh, the bond between an animal and uh, a human. Yes. And, and, that, yes. And, it, and, it's, and it's an honest bond because I always treat it like, you know, when you, because you, both of you have children, so you know what I'm talking about. You know, I always your child. You know, they're born and and you just see them physically, and they, they, you barely you don't want to hold them because you feel they might break them. And then they start crawling, and then at one or two, they start trying to talk. 
you know. So yeah. just look at an animal right there. Stop, stop it right there. So you have mm -hmm. a you have somebody that just has unlimited love for you and wants instructions. Yeah. Wants instructions. Oh, so yeah. you, you throw a stick yeah. for a dog, that dog will get that stick. I don't care how many times you throw that stick, that dog will get that stick. You did it for a child who's two years old, they do the same thing. You, yes. you you can you can put the same TV show on in front of a child's and they'll look at it. They'll just keep it. That's what yes. you want me to watch. I'll watch it. That's what that's the only okay. thing on. I'll watch it. One more time. Aladdin. Yes, Aladdin for the thirtieth time. I'm gonna watch it. And that's yes, what sir. you get in an animal and that, that you that you believe in and you care. I don't care if it's a horse, I don't care if it's a cow, a a, a bull. It is that 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 process. So cause I am a country boy. I'm from Houston, Texas, Phil Ford, but I I I I'm, okay. a, I'm a bank fisherman. Okay, so you know, so y'all can just stop talking to me. I'm a bank fisherman. Oh, now, you don't know anything about a cane. You know anything about a cane pole? I know about a cane pole. You know the little bob. I, I, that's what I started. You know, a perch and, and large mouth, small mouth bass. You know, stand oh, on the yeah. sides, perch. slip the couple. Yeah, ain't, no, ain't no country boy ever said the word perch. He come on, now. come on, come on. <laughs> 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 I'm telling you, I was born in the city. Y'all need to that's stop, you. man. Ain't no I'm, country boy I ever heard ever said perch. I'm telling you, I was born in the that's city. Brim and crappy. You come out, you come down there, come out. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm coming out here to be catching a little perch. They be like, what you gonna be standing on? <laughs> and so catfish. That's when I learned about catfish. My dad. Daddy pulled all the guts out of the cash fish and it was still swimming. I went, oh my God. So wow, I, yeah. catfish, they're the hardest fish in the world to kill is the catfish. That's why you gotta cut oh, the yeah. head. That's why you gotta cut the head off a of catfish. You cut all your yeah, yeah, sir. They, they know I'm talking to vets. They know what I'm oh, talking yeah. about. Oh yeah, oh yeah. And the catfish, if you grab it wrong, you might as well just grab a knife. You right. he, he will put something on you on it. Oh my goodness! You put something on you for real. See, I, I just got to get my country license with my boys. You see, so I can't hey, let them get off this go. phone. You know, letting them think they just got some little regular old Atlanta boy on the phone. Cause see, you get with country people, they act like they own country. See, that's why I can't. We stand. Do. See, I can't stand both of them. They act like they own country. <laughs> like they, like they, like they, like they, like they patent it. Like they trademark country. No, I got country too now. Now you might want to be Jacu Stowe. Well, you up there in Alaska. Yours with a C. You're up there in Alaska trying to shoot bears and your mama worried about you because you don't know where you're at because you didn't have no cell phone back then. Oh, no. <laughs> trying to watch cell fish go upstream. Yeah. Been slapped down by bears and all that good stuff. You over there, the only black dude looking around going, what's wrong? <laughs> Everybody going, you the wrong. <laughs> what are you doing up here? <laughs> That's right. But I love it, man, because y'all are groundbreakers, man. And when I say groundbreakers, I mean you guys are leaders in the game because you're human and you don't see color. And that, is, right. that is what I wish the world would do more of. And like you yeah. said, you know, Booker T. Washington started this a long time ago. You show people value, they will treat you for your value. Yes. That is what you guys are doing every day. Tell us, everybody, one more time about your show and how we can watch it on National Geo Wild. We're going to Critter Fix the Country Vets. We're going to be on every Saturday night on Nat Geo Wild at 10 o'clock. And if you don't have Nat Geo Wild, we got a – everybody has Amazon Prime. Yes, sir. You can get the whole series on Amazon Prime for nine ninety nine. So either way, catch the Country Vets, either on Nat Geo Wild or Amazon Prime. I love both of you guys. I always know you can come on my show. Now, I got a little lake outside my yard, in my backyard. So what I'm going to do is when my wife get back in town, we're going to bring the family up, do a little barbecuing. I'm going to do some country stuff with y'all. 
so y'all can feel comfortable. All right. Put, just some, I'm put some perch in there so we can come fish. Per- as long as you don't bring no koi fish, as long as you don't bring no koi up there. I'm coming in my scuba gear, though. <laughs> I'm going to push you up behind right in that lake, too. <laughs> hey, fellas, I hope you enjoyed the interview. It's been amazing. Again, good yes, luck. Your, us, man. your family, man. And keep those HBCUs strong and keep winning and letting everybody know how great they are. My next guest is in studio. He's ready to go. He's an attorney, entrepreneur, philanthropist. He was on top of the world when he was falsely accused and convicted of being a drug kingpin. In 1991, he was sentenced to life in prison, plus 72 years on other drug convictions. He is now the executive producer of the new ABC fictional legal and family drama series, For Life. Please welcome to Money Making Conversations, Isaac Wright Jr. Glad to be here. How are you? Pretty good. How you feel, my man? I feel great. It's a good time. It's a good time in your life. Yes, indeed. Well, you know, I was, you know, I get up at four o'clock every day, and uh, well, we did that. That didn't freeze you, huh? you know. That froze me a little bit. <laughs> what time do you get up, Isaac? Come on now. Well, well, sometimes I'm I'm still up at four o'clock. In the okay, morning. It just, okay, it just okay. depends on. <laughs> uh-huh. It just depends on, um, you know, what, what's on my plate, right? Um, for the mm-hmm. for the following day or the following week. Uh-huh. Um, I I try to get up as early as I possibly can, but I. I get to bed so late uh, right. trying to trying to catch up. I mean, I've been playing catch up lately, especially with the with the show and right. uh, you know my my career and my obligations and responsibilities to the court. Mm-hmm. And so um, I've been juggling you know all these responsibilities, and so it's it's been a little bit more hectic. But mm-hmm. I try to get up. I mean, I could never get up at four o'clock in the morning. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. if if I went to bed earlier than that, but. I try to get up at least between seven thirty and, and eight o'clock every morning. Now I had a you know, intro was pretty dramatic. You yeah. know, saying uh, you know in nineteen ninety one you were sentenced to life in prison plus seventy two years and and other seventy two years plus seventy two years. If life wasn't enough, we got seventy two years. We just going just for just good measure, just in case you're confused about <laughs> the life. Yeah. I got seventy two years waiting on you. Yeah. And now you're sitting here next to me, executive producing an ABC series with, with my man Fifty Cents. Mm-hmm. How does that happen, brother? Come on now. Um, you know, Fifty was a made man when I when I when I met him, mm-hmm. obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, in addition to to him being a made man in in the rap world and in in business, um, he'd already had uh, one of the number one TV shows, Power. Power. Mm-hmm. You know, on the air, Stars, mm-hmm. Stars. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I met him through uh, a mutual friend. This guy, um that I met him through, he owned a, an illegal fight club. He ran an illegal fight club in the Bronx. And Ill- illegal. It was illegal. Yes. <laughs> they, um, you know, they, they did the, they did the fighting things in the, in the, in the warehouses and, right. in the, you know, the, the, the junkyard. Was it sanctioned. Oh, that's what makes it illegal. Nothing was sanctioned. It was, it, it was actually shut down a few times by, by law enforcement. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was, it was top of the line illegal. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was successful in getting two, three hundred people to come out and watch these fights. And as a as the popularity and the and the fight grew, it became tougher to you know to keep it underground. He even had rappers to come out. Fat Joe, Remy Ma, they came out. They would perform during intermission. And he was trying uh, uh, to at, the- <laughs> at an illegal fight club. Yeah, <laughs> at intermission they they out there rapping. Yeah, yeah, and on, on, on the ring there was a big ring. They build a ring. You know, they listen. It was so sophisticated. They had drones. That was up in the in the in the sky, uh, beaming the camera down from the top angle right. and streaming that you know <laughs> the cell phones and everything. I mean, the, the guy he really had it put together. 
the problem was it was illegal. illegal. <laughs> and so, you know, what do you want the 50? He's like, you know, 50, man, you know, you take us really, really over the top if you come out and perform. And 50 mm -hmm. was like, listen, I, I got a promoter's license in Nevada, out of Nevada. Mm -hmm. If I come to your fight club, I'm going to lose that. I'm not, Absolutely. you know, I'm not going to do that. Right. Mm -hmm. He says, when you get legal, uh, you know, I'll come out and perform. And so, you know, they spent tens of thousands of dollars on attorneys trying to get legal. 50 even passed him a couple. Mm -hmm. And 50's attorneys basically told him up front, listen, you're out of your mind. Mm -hmm. It's never going to happen. Mm -hmm. It's impossible uh, to, to, to just move through, through the regulatory issues to get something like this legal. It, right. it just can't be done. Right. And so another individual uh, who's the owner of Rough Riders, uh, Darren Dean, who's Absolutely. a friend, friend of mine, mm -hmm. uh, he heard this guy, his name was Hove, he heard him complaining, you know, about not being able to get legal and all the money that he spent. So, so Darren says, listen, where all these lawyers failed you, I think I got the guy that may be able to help you out. So he introduced me to Hove and, mm -hmm. and uh, Hove told me his, his issues. And I actually went to one of the legal flight clubs. What year was this? What year was this? This was in 2015. Okay, cool. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I went to, I went to uh, one of the, the fights just to get a feel on what was happening. Mm -hmm. And I said, okay, you know what? I'll help you. And I got them legal in two weeks. And 50 went out and performed. And uh, 50, when 50 went out and performed, he was like, he was blown away. Like, how, do, how in the world were you able to do this? Who did this? Because mm -hmm. when he got there, there was police on both sides of the street. There was hundreds of people outside. There was police on both sides of the street. So he thought, 50 thought when he got there, that they were getting ready to shut it down. Right, right. He asked his driver to ask the police, you know, what was up? What's going on? Mm -hmm. So the police says, uh, crowd control. When when the driver asked me, <laughs> he said, we're out here doing crowd control. So, <laughs> so, so he was like, ask him, you know, every, can everybody go? He, cops said, oh, go have, go have fun. Mm -hmm. We're going to make, we're just out here to make sure everybody is safe. Safe, right. For traffic flow, all traffic that. Flow. Stuff. So mm -hmm. he went in and performed and, you know, he was like, how the hell did this happen? The guy explained to 50, you know, about me, about my story. Right. right. And that I had got them legal. And 50 was like, listen, have him in my office next tomorrow, man. I, I want to talk to this guy. So I sat down with 50. We that talked. guy being you. Mm -hmm. Yes, mm -hmm. that guy being me. Mm -hmm. So I sat down with him and we talked. And, you know, he was like, would you let me run with this as a TV show? Mm -hmm. You know, there was, a, there was the, some talk in the air about a movie, but 50 was like, nah. His vision was way out there. He, he was like, nah, but people want to want to hear this. Let, let me back up a little bit, Isaac. When you said run with this, what was this you were talking about? What was the my, concept my originally life story. pitched? Okay. The concept was 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 around a movie. Mm -hmm. And when he heard the story, he immediately, I mean, I can see his mind churning. You know, he immediately, he said to me, he says, he kind of stopped me and he said, listen, this is not, this is, a, a movie can, it can be later on, but this is, a, this is a TV show. This is something that people want to be inspired over every single week. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, and, and I want to be able to be comfortable in telling this story in ways mm -hmm. where, where we can continue to enlighten and continue to inspire and continue mm -hmm. to provide hope mm -hmm. to people. And so mm -hmm. I said, you know, it's, it's cool. Mm -hmm. yeah, whatever you want to do, I, I said, okay. And he, and he made it happen. And, and one of the things that, that um, was very, very significant to me in, in dealing with that decision that he made is that the guy that brought me to him now, remember, this is just an idea. There's no contracts. There's no agreements. There's nothing. Right. He goes to the guy. He says, listen, I'm going to pay you for a year tomorrow. Come by my office tomorrow. Mm -hmm. 
I'll have the cash here waiting for you. That's how confident he was mm-hmm. in what he had. Right. And what he knew what he could do with it. He right. started committing himself financially. Before there, mm-hmm. financially before there was any agreement. Just locking you down. Okay. Well, no, he, he didn't do it to me. Okay. He did it to the guy mm-hmm. that that brought me there. He, okay. In other words, he said, listen, I'm not leaving you out. You're going to be a part of this okay, too. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to pay you in advance for an entire year for every episode that I believe that's going that I'm, I'll be able to get out the first year. I'm going to pay you for that now. And he didn't even speak to, he had spoken to nobody. No writers. Sony was nowhere to be found at that time. ABC was nowhere to be found. He, but he knew, mm-hmm. he saw the road. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and, and he committed himself on that road that he saw. Mm-hmm. And it materialized. I mean, he's, he was a visionary. And, and when I saw that, because I see those things, you know, I, the experience that I have in trying to survive in prison, in a maximum security prison, mm-hmm. and it was the only one. For in seven the, years, right? For seven and a half years. Mm-hmm. It was the only one in the state. So that meant that, that, that every undesirable that was there was put in the same place with everybody else. Mm-hmm. And in order to survive in that environment, you have to learn how to size a person up. In 0.3 seconds, I can size you up, even if you don't open your mouth. Right. When he did that, I knew, because I was there, I was talking to him, I was studying him too. The right. longer he was studying me, I was studying him. Mm-hmm. I knew I could roll the dice and turn my back. Mm-hmm. And that's what I did. I rolled the dice, walked out of his office, and here I am. Are you happy? I'm elated. <laughs> <laughs> so, seven and a half years in prison. Yes. That when I read your story, it was that you represented yourself. Yes. Why? Um, <clears throat> in trial, the first trial, trial. The first time. I represented myself from the outset. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no legal training? No legal training. All I had was a high school diploma. Most of, most of, the, most of the grounds that I made and, and most of the law that I created, I created with a high school diploma mm-hmm. while I was in prison. Mm-hmm. Most of the people that, I've, that I got out, I got out with a high school diploma. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and that's one of the reasons why I can, I'm still saying that today is because I haven't been licensed that long because of, right. because of the challenges that they, right. that they characterize. 2017, right. When it was 2017 a- is when I actually got licensed. They investigated me. I passed the bar actually in, in 2008. If, if I had been licensed after I passed the bar, I would have probably quadrupled what I had accomplished when I was in prison by now. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but what they did was they investigated me for another nine years, something that should have taken a couple of weeks. Uh, they investigated me for nine years before giving me my license. Mm. And, and what I literally had to do um, after nine years had passed, there was a, a Supreme Court justice. Her name was Virginia Long out of New Jersey. She was one of the justices that, did, that made a, a, a landmark ruling in my civil case um, that for the first time in the history of that state, it made the state liable for conduct of prosecutors. And before, it was counties. It was mm-hmm. counties that would have been liable. Right, right, and there, right. was, there mm-hmm. was all these immunities that went with it. Mm-hmm. But my case changed that, and she was one of the judges. She retired um, around 2000. 15, 16, she retired. And when I found she retired, I went looking for her. Right. And I located her in a law firm, very, a huge law firm, international law firm called Fox Rothschild. Mm-hmm. I called her up and she remembered who I was. And mm-hmm. she offered me to come in for a consultation. Mm-hmm. I sat down with her. And when she found out what was going on, she was really appalled about it. She was, it, was, it was just incredible to her as a Supreme Court, a retired Supreme Court justice, because, you know, the Supreme Court controls all of that. 
Right, right. They're the top dogs when it comes down to not only the judicial system in the state, but also who practices and who doesn't. If there's disciplinary actions, they're the ones who suspend you or disciplinary disciplines you or, or revokes your license. They, they control all of that. So she basically let me know in no, no, no small terms that uh, she felt for my situation. She uh, was going to, she couldn't actually represent me because it was a conflict of interest in it, being that she was on the bench mm-hmm. during my civil case. Mm-hmm. But fortunately, her husband was also a partner at the firm. Okay. Right. And so she says, what I'm going to do is I'm going to let my husband represent you. That's awesome. That's me. My husband represents me and I represent him. Um, and being that I was on the bench, they understand what that means. Right. So he came in and within six months I had a license. Within After nine years when he came in, within six months I had a license. And there's a picture of me, you can see it on the internet, it's all over the internet and it's on my Instagram of me being sworn in. There's a lady with uh, with blonde hair, light light whitish blonde hair, mm-hmm. an older lady swearing me in. Mm-hmm. That's her. That's a retired uh, chief, ju- uh, not chief justice, but justice of the Supreme Court of New Congratulations. Jersey. Congratulations. This problem is nationwide, right? And and people are and, and it affects predominantly people of color. Yes. And so when you hear me say something like that, does it get you mad or motivates you for change? Uh, it doesn't. It doesn't get me mad at all. Uh, it, it it motivates it motivates me for change and. Mm-hmm. And, and to be honest with you, um, and this is a controversial statement that I'm going to make, but I really believe in it. <clears throat> I think as, as minorities, as, as blacks, um, uh, we've, been, we've been mad for a long time. Yes, sir. And uh, I, I, think, I think we should, because being mad takes a lot of energy. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think if we refocused uh, as a people, refocus that energy uh, on making changes, because we're a powerful people. We really, we really, really are, mm-hmm. and a lot of times, uh, anger has a has a way of distorting the way you think mm-hmm. and the decisions that you make. Mm-hmm. Um, but if if we can if we can uh, uh, refocus uh, a lot of the anger into action, uh, you know, I, I think we can move mountains as a people. Uh, and and you know, even for me, being in the situation that I was in, uh, there was room for for a lot of anger, for, for, for being enraged. Right. Um, and, and just to, just to give you an example of what I'm saying, there was a, there was a time early on when I had, uh, decided that I was going to represent myself. And, you know, that was a, you tell me when you represent yourself in court, in court. Yes. And okay. in, in my, during my, my, my trials, um, you know, I had made a decision early on that I was going to represent myself. And I remember I was in my cell uh, working on a, on a, on a motion. And, um, I was, uh, I was working almost all night and I fell asleep in the middle of writing the motion. Mm-hmm. And, uh, maybe an hour or two, I woke back up and I decided that I was going to pick up where I left off. Mm-hmm. And I began to read, uh, what I had written just to kind of get myself acquainted with it again and start mm-hmm. where I left off. And, and when I started reading, I began to look around because, it seemed to me that there was something wrong. There was, I was beginning to look around to see where those papers were that I was working on, where that motion was that I was working on because I didn't even recognize what I was reading. It was, it was, so, it was so overwhelmed with emotion and right. with anger right. that I didn't recognize myself. Right. I didn't recognize the person that had written it. Right. And that was, uh, that was a divine moment for me 
because it, it took me somewhere mentally and emotionally that I needed to go in the sense that, that I was never going to have the kind of focus that I needed to have in order to get myself out of this situation, um, being burdened down with negative emotions. Um, and anger is a very negative emotion. Sometimes it's well-placed, but most of the time, uh, anger is a very, very misplaced emotion. <clears throat> the moment I decided that I was going to manage and control that, uh, I had to learn to separate myself from my, that emotional state. And the moment I did that, uh, I, I moved into a moment of such clarity mm-hmm. uh, that it was a snowball. Right. My, 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 the gift right. that God had given me for right. the law. Right. Uh, the first time I picked up the law book, it was like I'd done it all my life. And that, which is amazing because that wasn't the direction you was pursuing your life until this happened. Had absolutely no interest in the law <laughs> at all. Um, and, and, and never picked up a law book before in my life. And the first time I did it was like I was doing it all my life. Mm-hmm. And, and that moment of clarity uh, took a gift and turned it into a snowball rolling down a hill. Mm-hmm. So that seven and a half years later, by the time I got back in court, I was so good that I got a veteran police officer to confess on the stand. And that, that's how I, actually how I, how I ultimately got out. A veteran cop, uh, seven and a half years before that, he was a detective in the prosecutor's office. Seven and a half years later, when I got him back on that stand, he was the chief of the police academy. That's how much he had risen. And, and obviously, he's a more sophisticated individual. And I was able to get him to literally not only confess, but to put himself in jail. I mean, he, you know, when you confess to misconduct like that, perjured testimony, falsifying police reports, you know, you're, you're going to jail. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I was just that good seven and a half years later, no law degree, high school diploma, and I did something that lawyers practiced their entire life to do. Wow. I did that as a person, as a young man with a, with a high school diploma. Congratulations. Thank you. Now, and you, when I look at this, t- the television series, the lead, lead actor has that anger in him. Yes. Anger, of course, it, it should be there. Yes. Because he's, not, he's, not, he's in a place yes. he's not supposed to be. Yes. Uh, the, your wife played by Joy Bryant. Mm-hmm. Um, also, she's living in it with your best friend mm-hmm. and then your daughter. Mm-hmm. They're now living with your best friend. Yes. In a romantic relationship. Yes. And now you're in jail. Mm-hmm. What made that character development like that? What was the whole rationale with setting it up like that? Um, well, you, you know, the, 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 the colloquy I just gave you about what I had to go through to actually get a license. Yes, sir. It's a very long time. That's a couple of decades. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so creatively, what was the decision was made to condense that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that we can carry the public through some of the, the triumphs and, and, and some of the agonies of defeat that you go through in that process. Right. Uh, and so, and, and what the family is going through with you. Mm-hmm. And so Aaron Wallace is a representation of, you know, all those things wrapped up into one. Even the emotions that I was telling you about, one of the things about me having to hide that emotion and having to control it is that it does not give the public what was really going on inside me. Mm-hmm. And, and so what we decided to do is we decided to allow the public to reflect on not only this anger and this agony that Aaron was going through as a character, but also 
how he has to manage to control it in order to move ahead. That's key. That, that's that's key. That's key. And uh, you know, you have the 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 destruction of family that occurs when you're in, when you're in prison. Absolutely. Um, and when you're in relationships, the destruction of the relationship, the the total annihilation of the family nucleus. Mm-hmm. And so this 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 conflict um, between this three way conflict between Aaron, mm-hmm. his best friend, mm-hmm. and his wife, yes, you know, is a reality. Mm-hmm. You know, these things mm-hmm. happen mm-hmm. Uh, uh, in the world. I went in uh, in prison. I went into prison with a family, with right. a wife and a daughter. Mm-hmm. You know, and when I came out of prison, I didn't have my family anymore. Right. You know, and mm-hmm. so and so those are the realities of prison. For many men mm-hmm. uh, in America, I mean, it's, it's very, very difficult to have a life sentence with seven years on top of it and people waiting for you to come home. You know, uh, the, the, the general consensus is that the power of the government is, is, is too, too large for you. It, and and it's time to move on emotionally, physically, and then you trap with that idea that I'm innocent. Yes. Wait for me. Wait for me. Wait yeah. for me. So you call. Yeah. Did you ever give up? With that, with that emotional damage that you know is being done to your family and the fact that you don't know if you can actually get yourself out of jail? Um, no, I, I didn't ever give up. You know, you know, one of the things about, about dealing with these kind of challenges is that, is that it starts with your mind. Right. My reality mm-hmm. was that I was going to die in prison. And so... That's right. But, but, but the reason why that was my reality is because someone gave me that reality. Right. That reality was given to me. Right. And so that wasn't the reality that I created. Okay. That was a reality that was given to me. And so what I did was I lived in my reality, the one I created. Right, right, right. That's why I didn't, I, I wasn't going to be a slave to the reality that they created for me. Which is important. You know, which is very, very important. But you important. can control your reality. I can control my reality. The reality that got you living in is an uncontrolled environment. You that, don't know what the fool next to you going to do right. or the fool that's around right. the corner is going to do. You don't know if your cell door is going to open three o'clock in the morning and someone comes in there with a shank and takes your life. You have no idea what's going to happen to you from one day or the other. And so one of the things that I did was I created my own reality. And that reality was based on on my own intellect, the, the gifts that I had and the, and the, the tenacity uh, that I engaged in order to protect myself and my family. Mostly... My family, because right. this was not just an attack on me. It was an attack on my family. Absolutely. Uh, and, and when you look at the destruction going on around you that you are inside watching, you can't do anything about, you, you realize that this was more than just about you. Mm-hmm. This, this is about how it decimates families and communities. Absolutely. And you were right in the middle of that. Now, mm-hmm. now you're an executive producer. You're given that title for this ABC series. Yes. We're talking about uh, Isaac Wright Jr. Your story inspired this series. Yeah. It's a fictional series mm-hmm. about a about a legal series and a family dynamics. Mm-hmm. It's on ABC, mm-hmm. uh, airs on Tuesday nights. Um, 50 Cents will make a guest appearance on March 24th. Yes. Uh, what is your role as executive producer of the series? Um, well, executive producers, uh, 
They're the boss. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I mean, that's it. Oh, oh, oh. okay. You wanted the boss. In general, <laughs> yeah, that's why. That's why I said there. Um, I, uh, there's a there's a number of us. I mean, there's there's uh-huh. Allison Greenspan, yes, uh, Doug Robinson. He's an executive producer. Fifty Absolutely. is an executive producer. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the the big bosses is Sony and, and ABC. Right. Uh, and I, I have uh, ABC with me right now. They they they're not only my boss, but but they're also my partner. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. And uh, but that's where it should be. That's what that's what you, you want people. I would tell people you, if you if you promoting you traveling alone, that's not good. That's, you know that's, right, you, that's right. You got people traveling right. with you. That's yeah, a sign that's that they a, care. Indeed, and they want to make it indeed. happen. Indeed, and this is a this is a great series. Yeah, first of all, because I was emotionally charged by the whole breakdown of of that person who see. Here's the interesting thing about the series for life that we're talking about. That's inspired by your incarceration and your triumph as a as a as an attorney now and a philanthropist and an entrepreneur is that. As, as, as he's in prison mm-hmm. and then he gets to go out of prison. Mm-hmm. He gets to put on a suit, mm-hmm. but then he's dictated. Hey, mm-hmm. hey, hey, hey. That's right. It's time to undress. Right. Time to go back to what you right. really are supposed to be. Right. And so that really is a mental tug. Indeed. And so that really is, is what inspires me to say, wow, he's dealing. I, I root for him. Mm-hmm. And so you, this plays out. This is the opening, uh, I guess, credits talk about I used to be one of you guys. Yeah. I was free. I used to be just like you. I, I was free. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, I got I, 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 the police busted into my nightclub mm-hmm. and found drugs mm-hmm. and then announced me to be a kingpin announcer in life in prison. Mm-hmm. My family has been yanked away from me. My wife, she now is living in a relationship with my best friend, my daughter. I don't know what she's doing in her life, but guess what? I want to reconnect with her. And that is the series. So right there, it sets up a lane of frustration mm-hmm. and passion for the character. Right. And so the series is tied to the fact that Every episode is this. He's developing as a man because right. he has to redevelop as a man in mm-hmm. prison. Mm-hmm. He's a man outside of mm-hmm. prison, but a man in prison is mm-hmm. a different person because mm-hmm. you're dealing with different dynamics. Mm-hmm. And so each episode is his journey for not only trying to seek his freedom, right. but the freedom of other people. Because every time he receives success right. as a lawyer, then more people are inspired right. by his efforts. Right. And right. that's what. Right. Push me to say right. I want to see this show, and push me to say I want to see you. Yeah, yeah. That, and and <laughs> you, you brought up a, you brought up an incredible point because it's the easiest thing in the world for a judge not to even look at your papers when you put it in. Mm-hmm. You don't know; right. they just rubber stamp it. Oh, that's right. that's that nonsense. It stamp denied right. and mm-hmm. move on. Right. It it takes a certain amount of respect. Right. To allow them to force them to do a double take and say, you know what. I better read this. Yes. <laughs> it takes a certain level of respect. And so, and so what this journey does with For Life, it takes Aaron through that growth. Aaron Wallace is the yes, name. Aaron okay. Wallace. Mm-hmm. You'll see him moving through that growth where, you know, in that first episode, you saw him win this, win this case. That right. gave you a glimpse of... A, a case with some uh, complicated... Techniques, complicated <laughs> techniques, and, and you know, and the thing about that, the thing you could, because because all these things, you know, we talk about, and they ask me about it, uh-huh. and there was a question uh, to me about, you know, you know, should we should we do this, and you know, I, I was like, because I'm I'm so, it, my understanding about the system is is so intimate, mm-hmm. I was like, of course, should you? That shouldn't be a question. Yes, mm-hmm. forge that paper, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. because here's here's the thing about this country. Mm-hmm. In this country, the way the system is supposed to be shut up, set up is that it is better for a guilty man to go free 
than an innocent person to spend a day in prison for something he didn't do. Mm -hmm. We would rather the guilty to go free than to send the innocent person in prison. That is the way our system of justice is supposed mm -hmm. to be set up. Mm -hmm. that, is our, that is one of the, the guiding principles of our system of justice so that we can ensure that we will do whatever it takes to prevent a person that's innocent from going to prison. Mm -hmm. And that's not how it's working. Mm -hmm. It's working differently. And so when you see Aaron making that desperate move, mm -hmm. forging this document, mm -hmm. He is forging this document. He is doing the wrong thing for the right reasons. Right. And the risk that he's taken, you'll see down the line. There you go. Is, it's going to come back. <laughs> that risk is going to come back at him. Right. Right. And his family. Right. Because he has a, because basically a little other side note is that a lot of people are not happy that he has a law degree in right. prison. Right. He saw a little cool leap, loop, loophole right. that allowed him to get it. And so every time right. he goes in front of a judge, you know, they question his technique. Right. They call him a novice. Right. They tell him to do more homework. Right. So he's constantly disrespected. Right. But because he is, as the, as the and, and, and the way he got the law degree, somebody vouched for him mm -hmm. at a higher position. Mm -hmm. And that uh, now what's happening on the DA side, they hate this. Yeah. So their goal is to be able to see, stop him from winning. Mm -hmm. And to crush him. Mm -hmm. And so that carries. So you, now you got your enemies. Mm -hmm. You got your, your people you root for. Mm -hmm. You got the five family. Mm -hmm. And you got the prison. So right. it turns into prison into like a good guys. Right. The angry guys are the DA and this guy named Mas Maskins. 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 Yeah. They, they, bad people. Bad people. Bad people. Yeah. And so so when you when you see that and just letting people, why would I watch this series? How would I relate to this series? You're going to relate because it has a family dynamic right. in it. You can relate because you you feel some type of, of, of pain, right? But because somebody is innocently incarcerated, right? And then you realize also these are just regular people. Mm -hmm. These are just regular people. It's regular people. And uh, even even when he's uh, even when he's um, found out, mm -hmm. one of the guards provides him with the information, mm -hmm. so they know he's a good guy. Mm -hmm. And so that is when I, I'm, I love good storytelling. And yes. so good storytelling helps me out when they. Plug in the, yes. the the reason this action is happening. Yes. Why is it happening? Yes. Why is why is why are we doing this? Because yes. I hate it when you just jump over the jump over three to get to five. Yeah, and you, you know, you, you create these these dark tunnels where there's the information is the important information to give continuity is missing. But this this story is this is continuity there, and you can follow it, uh, and you can understand you know why these things are happening, and and the things that you don't really understand that's hidden from you in the beginning. It's revealed to you, yes. you know, re yes. revealed to you later on. Yeah. But, but I, I think they did an incredible job. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, uh, Nicholas Pinnock uh, is the, am I pronouncing that right? Pinnock. I'm sorry. I, I, I hope he's not listening right now. But uh, Nicholas Pinnock. We edited that part. <laughs> you know, he's an incredible actor. Um, he, he just... He is so profound in his acting, and you've seen the episode. So I'm speaking to the choir right now. Mm -hmm. That it has a, it has affected me. It has it has been therapeutic for me watching him mm -hmm. because it's like it's like watching myself. And and the the things that he shows outwardly uh, are the things that I know I was feeling inside. Right. You know, you know the interesting thing about it. And Nicholas plays the character Aaron Wallace, yes, uh, which is the lead character in the series for Life, which is on ABC airs on Tuesday night. The thing about it is that. You know, he takes that character with anger so close to the edge, mm -hmm, man. Mm -hmm. I feel nervous when he with mm -hmm, the warden. Mm -hmm. I feel nervous for mm -hmm, him. Don't mm -hmm. shut up. Shut, mm -hmm. Dude, would you just be quiet? Mm -hmm. Because he's always internally mad. Yeah, yeah. 
And that's what I love about the character, yeah. and it makes me nervous. Yeah. <laughs> it makes me nervous in a good way. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, from yeah. from, a, from a, a viewer standpoint, yeah. I'm going, hey, dude, shut up. Yeah. You about yeah. to blow yeah. this. <laughs> you just calm down. Because his character just goes so close to the yeah. edge all the time. Yes. And that's a, that's beautiful, man. It, it is. And, and I had nobody to tell me that. Right. I, had, I had to learn that mm-hmm. uh, um, um, from, from trial and error. Uh-huh. And, so, and so what's beautiful about it, is because that reality not only taps into his humanity, but but it also just like where you were doing, you were trying to guide him from the TV set. Yes, you know? yes. <laughs> Shut up, fool! Shut up! You're pushing too far. You know when they let him in the in because I've seen his anger. Right. So when they let him in the room with the warden by her by, by herself, I'm yeah, going, yeah, yeah. okay, please, please don't grab this woman, start strangling. Okay, cool. Well, guess what? They gave me the signal. I, I hope they, uh, you enjoyed this interview. I've been enjoying. Oh, indeed, it, it was enjoyable. We went kind of long, but I'm gonna keep. They didn't shut me. I'm gonna keep talking to you. I appreciate but, uh, it. The beautiful thing about this show is that it's a Tuesday night. Uh, my man Fifty Cent will be making a guest appearance. Cassius is his character. Cassius uh, 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 on the show because you know Fifty he does it both ways. Yeah, you know, did. you know Fifty. You know Fifty uh, created the Power series and got about fifteen more shows about to bounce out. Uh, and Havoc, Havoc is coming with Fifty. Oh, Cassius I know his character I Havoc know. is getting ready to come. I know it's going to be like that. Yeah. I think Fifty comes no other way, no other way. So it's a must see series. It's every time the show airs, it's a must see series on Tuesday night on ABC for life. I'm here with one of the executive producer. The series is inspired by his life story, Isaac Wright Jr. Thank you. My next guest is a talented actress and singer who was born in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. You know, what I'm, I'm from Texas, so I can talk like that. She right above me, right above me. She moved to Atlanta for college and attended an HBCU school, Clark Atlantic University, where she majored in theater and then moved to Los Angeles and has been booking television shows, films, and commercials ever since. She is now starring in the new Tyler Perry series. It is entitled Tyler Perry's Ruthless. Please welcome to Money Making Conversation, Melissa L. Williams. Thank you. Wow, that was a great introduction. Well, you know, you, 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 first of all, you deserve it, you know, and you're, you're out here. I, I, you know, I always tell people, a lot of people are stop based on fear, stop based on people's expectations mm-hmm. or projections of what they should be doing in their, life, in their life. And here you are in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. I've been there several mm-hmm. times. Uh, eat some great barbecue <laughs> in Oklahoma City, by the way. I've been there. It's some good barbecue. <laughs> yeah. So how do you get to Atlanta, to Los Angeles, from Oklahoma City? How, 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 how can your dreams be so big in Oklahoma City? Ooh, well, I tell you, it, that's how you know it's your gift when, when nobody or nothing, no circumstance can stop you from attaining it. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like my purpose, I found it at a young age, yes, um, my purpose on this earth was is to tell a story, um, whether it be through characters or my own. And that's why I think that God has given me such a powerful testimony. Right. Uh, because it is definitely one that I feel can transform other young black uh, women actors or even just people who live in small towns. You know, I, I feel like my story would transform transform their thinking at least enough to um, make them believe that they can do it just because of, you know, where I'm from and, and, and where I grew up as well. Right. And I, I think I appreciate you saying that because, you know, people look at the big city, New York, Chicago, Houston, Atlanta now, 
Los Angeles. That's where you go to achieve. You you either from those type of cities or you're born in those type of cities. Where the real talent is just like an anything. You know, it comes from everywhere. You're part of that. You're one of the, mm-hmm. the, the limbs on the tree, that fruit that we need to grow. And so when you made the decision to go to Atlanta for college, that was the first major decision you had to make because you were leaving home. Oklahoma City, Oklahoma mm-hmm. to Atlanta, Georgia, which we know. I've been to Oklahoma City. I said it jokingly earlier, but I was for real. I know the black population there. Now you come into a market where we know is <laughs> truly an African-American market. What was that like? What was that transition right. for you? Oh, it was definitely a culture shock. I mean, you know, the, our black population in Oklahoma you can count it on your on your on your one hand. On one hand, <laughs> you know we don't make up a lot, a lot of space. We don't take up a lot of space in Oklahoma, but there are black people. So yes, I yeah. will dispel that myth right now. Mm-hmm. People always ask me, "Oh, I, oh, I didn't know black people lived in Oklahoma," and I'm like, "Yep, yeah, yep," yeah, because here's one right here. So um, I. I I think, you know, for me, it was a culture shock because Atlanta, obviously, is about that culture and black love and black history and and black restaurants and black-owned businesses and black-owned designers. Like, it's everything black, and that's what I wanted. You know, I I, the reason why I even found out about a college in Atlanta is because I was impacted on by a movie called Drumline. I saw that in high school, Mm -hmm. and I was like, I want that experience. I want... In all black uh, experience, HBCU. I want. I want to see the girls dancing like that. I want the drum line to have rhythm. Like I, I want to be around that. Right. So <laughs> I looked it up online, and I thought I was so ready to you know move forward. I thought there's a school on drumline was a real school. So I looked up the school that Nick Cannon went to, <laughs> right. and I found out that it was false. Obviously created for the movie, but hey, I'm from Oklahoma. What right, does right. she know? <laughs> so I I found out that, okay, they, they filmed it in Atlanta on a college campus, right. which happens to be uh, an HBCU. So in the AUC Center, that makes up Morehouse, Spelman, and Clark Atlanta. You know, all of those campuses are on one campus there mm-hmm. in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. So I applied to Spelman. I applied to Clark. I got accepted to Clark, and I went to Clark. And congratulations, because that, 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 that was the seed for why we were talking today. And... Uh, because, you know, HBCUs, yeah. I'm, I'm a part of a lot of uh, campaigns with HBCU. Uh, oh, I, didn't no, attend no, no. An, I didn't attend an HBCU, but I'm a, such a fan of uh, bringing the, the, the quality of educated people, that, that brand awareness that HBCUs mm-hmm. is giving out, especially in Hollywood. Hollywood is really being overrun by HBCU graduates, which is really positive, as well as the corporate yeah. space. And I'm sure you're finding that out as well, you know. And so with that being said... I'm, I am. I'm, yeah. That's something that I'm I'm proud to to be a part of as well, and I'm and glad that people are mentioning that because it, it only puts more business in our HBCUs. You know, like at the end of the day, college is a business. If, right. if ain't nobody going, ain't nobody showing, and you ain't mm-hmm. like we need the HBCUs to be in the business. So yeah, I'm glad that people are like I think Lena Waithe went to HBCU. Um, a lot of people are coming out mentioning that in their you know, journey or story. There you go. And I think that's important. Um, and that's why I had to mention it in your story, in your journey. My executive <laughs> producer, she's from Hampton, you know, you know, so, Ooh, so, well she's, right. so I, I got to okay. give love over there. She keeps me right every, every time I do this show. Now, let's, uh, I don't want to get anybody mad because I, I, it may seem like I've drifted off into a personal conversation about your life. But you have a show coming <laughs> out 
Tyler Perry's Ruthless. Before we talk about that show, the seed of your character was planted in his other show. That's Woo. correct. The Oval. The Oval. Now, it was really interesting. I was reading, I always try to do additional research on what they sent over to me. And I was reading this article and it was talking about, you know, you said Tyler Perry was a genius. You said this guy was amazing. Why did you say that about Tyler Perry? Because that's what I truly believe. I think he is amazing. I think he is a genius. Any man who can write, create, produce... Okay, first of all, let me just start from the beginning. My <laughs> background is theater major. Uh-huh. But mm-hmm. I did uh, continue education um, under the media production program, so I switched my major, okay? Because right. mm-hmm. I was like, I need to learn the behind the scenes because later on down the line... Um, you know, just having a theater major isn't going to be enough. Right. So I need to learn how to produce. I need to learn how to edit. I need to learn learn how, where do the lights go? So I have good lighting, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I learned all that. And I'm saying that to say any man that can at his level, I'm talking about Netflix deals. I'm talking about cable, BT own, uh, now with the streaming service that he's partnered with, the BT, BT Plus. Um, any man that can write, create, produce, and direct, and still, you know, be a personality themselves with the Medea tour, that's a genius in my eyes. And if anybody wants to dis- uh, to, to disagree, mm-hmm. I'd love to talk about it. I'd love to talk about it. I won't, I won't disagree. I will not disagree at all. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I just like to talk <laughs> okay. about the, the relationships because of the fact that, you know, everybody needs to toot that horn. It's not tied to just he gave me an, an acting shot. He's doing it over and over yeah, again. Yeah, yeah. The thing I like about Tyler Perry is that, he does all these things, and you you talk to him. It's the same guy. He's you know he doesn't change yeah. into some walk on the stage floor, and he's some little weird dude or, or some over energized person. It's the same individual. That's that's to me is amazing. You know, being that he built yeah. his career, you know, with Medea and all that stuff as an actor playing a female role, a female mm-hmm. character, and over the top. Mm-hmm. But he's so centered. Mm-hmm. Now let's talk about the series mm-hmm. that is not centered. Is Tyler Perry's The Oval. Okay, now, okay, like, I, I, I got to talk about this show. If you have not seen this show, everybody, okay, the, the lead character, the guy looks like Bradley Cooper, the lead character, that's the president, the president. That's uh-huh. a, it's, it's, a, yeah. it's a dysfunctional show, right, the, the Obamas have left the White House, and a dysfunctional right. family has moved in. I'm talking, about, I'm talking about folks, dysfunctional at the steroid level has moved in. Okay, right. okay. The, 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 the president and the first lady, she's black, he's white, okay? They do not, mm-hmm. they do not get along. So there's already controversy. Oh, they do not get along. I'm telling you something, the least of our, their problems is she's black, he's white for these people. That's the least of the problems on this show. <laughs> that is like minor league. That, that quickly becomes a non-issue compared to the other problems yep. that they have going on. Then they have mm-hmm. a daughter... I got to talk. I got to tell the daughter, she's crazy. Okay. Okay. The mama actually tases the daughter on the show. Tases her. Tases her. In front of people. Yeah. <laughs> in the White House. In front of the, in front of the security staff. She don't care. She don't care. The mama. Her mama. Her actual mama. Not the stepmama. Her actual mama. <laughs> tases her own daughter. The mama. The mama. Okay. She had her. She birthed her. Yep, right in the world. Okay, she only two kids, two kids. Okay, cook two kids. Now, the daughter, 
Now, this is Tyler Perry's Oval Office. I'm not going to give everything away, but I got to set these characters because we're going to get to... Yeah, we got. We still got to let them binge watch it now. Absolutely. We need them to watch it. Okay, I, no, no, you know me. I'm, a, I'm not going to bust <laughs> Tyler Perry's bubble. But there's enough craziness on this show. <laughs> enough drug dealing going on this show. Enough, enough uh-huh. sex going on. I mean, sex, 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 sex is going on this show. It's ridiculous. Oh, my goodness. And then your character... Well, that's got to be that's got to be why it's number one. Uh, stop all you know that. You know number one cable drama on TV. I, I, I know he does. So. I'm telling everybody why. Then your character, <laughs> you part of a cult. She sings because you know she she can really sing. You gonna sing it? She knows she can really sing. Okay, so she constantly throws in these notes along the way, humming, humming. She has a child. With the with the son of the butler at the White House, but she has a twin sister. I ain't gonna go no. I'm not gonna go any further than that. That she has a twin sister, so she plays two characters in the Oval. Am I right? Am I right? If you you can correct me, Melissa, if I'm wrong about anything. Okay. No, no, you're right. I'm just I'm just listening, smiling, yes, smiling okay. and listening. Okay, cool. So, so, so it's all set up. So, picture this. Like I said earlier, the Obamas gracious. The epitome of elegance have, has left the White House, and part hood, part trailer park, part <laughs> uh, 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 foolishness, part uppity, dippity, stupidity has moved in. So the mm-hmm. staff at the White House, they 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 caught off guard. They not they're not ready for this. If you just watch, mm-hmm. I, I just beg, I just beg people to just do me this favor. If you're questioning Rashawn's enthusiasm, just watch the pilot. If you watch the pilot, <laughs> I swear to you, if you watch the pilot, the it, he has you. You cannot believe what will go on in the next episode. And we get to the next episode, it gets more crazy. You know what? You have said nothing but the truth, Melissa. Tell us about your character in more detail, and uh, let's. Uh, Let's let's talk about this journey of this new series because it's twenty four episodes, correct? Yes, it is. It's twenty four episodes. It'll be coming out on BET Plus, which is BET's new streaming app, partnered with Tyler Perry, and that is available everywhere: Android, Amazon, Apple, uh, Roku. It's available everywhere. You can ha- type in on your smartphone BET Plus. Um, so that's nine ninety nine. Just letting everybody know the price mm-hmm. is coming out on March 19th. And we are not dropping one. We're not dropping two. We're dropping three episodes at once mm-hmm. on March 19th. Just, just to show you, you know, what Ruthless is about. And literally, uh, from those three, people are going to be hooked. I mean, from the first one, you're going to be hooked. But those three right there. Right. Hook, line, and sinker. Well, no, no. Like I was hooked on the Oval when it came out on BET, and that was really like a an, a, a, an adult soap opera. That's what the uh, Oval really is. What what exactly is ruthless? What exactly is ruthless? I'm sorry. I yeah. What exactly? Out. Like I said, you know, the the Oval was more like an adult soap opera. Mm-hmm. Okay. What exactly okay. is Tyler Perry's ruthless? What exactly is the theme of that, and what drives the energy of the characters? Because we can get in more more detail and build the enthusiasm. Because as I am enthused enthused about the Oval, they should definitely be enthused because your character was very dynamic and it was developed on the Oval show. And so 
being the smart person that he is, Tyler Perry spins it off, this, character's, this character off. So tell us about the dynamics of your character that was on the Oval, because I didn't want to give that away too much. I want you to be able to express that in your own words and then transition it over to okay. the new show, okay? Okay, so my character in uh, the Oval that has a spinoff is named Ruth. Ruth um, has a baby with Barry, who is um, the son of Nancy. Um, Nancy, uh, which is the house, the, the house, basically the house grandmother right now, because mm-hmm. um, her husband works at the White House. He's mm-hmm. the butler. His name is Richard. Right. So um, Ruth comes and she's like, she wants her child because Barry has full custody at the moment um, because of Ruth's past. And she's like, I want to see my, my daughter. Yes, and that turned into her kidnapping her daughter with her cult members and taking her back. Um, so Ruthless is going to show you where she's taking her back to. So basically, Ruthless is, is Ruth's character um, taking her daughter to this cult, and you're going to be getting an inside look of this fanatical uh, underground world that is the Rock of Issues. That's the name of the cult. Wow. And it's all shot in Atlanta? It's all shot in Atlanta on his studios. Um, it's It's... Literally, I, I think I could be wrong, but I think I'm right. Um, this is like the first series that he shot, like on location. So he he made an actual compound right. for the mm-hmm. cult, just for the show. And when I tell you, just like walking on the grounds of it, it's pretty. It's pretty eerie. So he he he's gotten it down to even just like the aesthetic. Um, and people are going to feel the eeriness of it because at the end of the day, like this is, I, someone was telling me this earlier, but it's kind of like speaking to that fear of um, the unknown. Because right. if you look on Netflix, type in cult, you're going to get hundreds of documentaries on cults that are either inactive or active or we don't know they're active. You know what I mean? So, like, these are, it's a thing. It's just no one brings it to the forefront. Right. So I, I think that um, this show is, is going to be pioneering for Tyler Perry because it's stepping out of the box and, out, and almost out of, the, out of the comfort zone of, like, doing the lighthearted comedy, you know? Well, you did that with a fall from grace with me, you know, because of the fact that's that. What I, well, that's what I'm saying. He, yeah. This is the new wave. So he started with a fall from grace, and he got all... 26 million of those Netflix eyes on that. And that just made me even more say, I know Ruthless is going to have people just the same because it's on the same, it's the same he's going the same way with it, just the drama, uh, thriller, horror type. Now, That's what Ruthless You know, nothing, you, uh, I never take for granted any talent, and you are a talent when you're mm-hmm. doing characters and you know, I can tease about your characters, but there's work involved. In, in, in auditioning for this character, tell us that whole process and and when you got the role, and then also the mm-hmm. announcement of the new series. Let's let's first talk about. I'd like to let my my, my fans know how who wanted who aspire to a world of entertainment or a level of acting and acting. That's a job. So talk about that whole process. Yeah. Ooh, well, it's definitely definitely that it's definitely a job and it's definitely a journey. One that you've got to have faith for. So 
um, I moved to California after I after I um, finished the college in Atlanta, and I came out here knowing nothing. And I, you know, I'm, I just know theater, so I was mm-hmm. an extra in Atlanta, and that's like the most experience I had had on like a TV or film set, professional set. So when I moved here, I just started doing a lot of research on like, you know, where to get your headshots, what what sites do actors go on to to submit themselves for auditions. And once I started getting all this material and knowledge by just doing it, the research myself, I was like garnering results. My first role that I booked was on the game. And that was from me submitting myself and my picture. It wasn't wow. a headshot. It wasn't professional. I had nothing on my resume. Mm-hmm. But they selected me. And then the, the dilemma was me having to get back to Atlanta to do the audition. You know, and so it was another fight. And I think that um, it's just, it takes this, I think any career, any career with longevity takes that fight and that drive because uh, it's not always going to be up. It's, it's, it's up and down, you know, a journey is up and down. And so if you have that fight, you'll be able to survive it all. And I think that's, that's what my journey has taught me. It's built my character as a person to be able to withstand like all the no's until you get the big yes, which right now for me is this moment. So for Ruth, um, I auditioned for the oval for another character and, uh, never auditioned for Ruth. So I character did you you audition for? I auditioned for Lily, that Lily, uh, Sierra Payton's role. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, so I auditioned for that, and then I got a call back for that and his other show, Sisters. So I auditioned for both of the shows, and um, he flew us all out to do that in Atlanta. We did it at his studios, and that was the first time I had been to Tyler's studios. Um, and he offered me the role of Denise. So then of I Denise? got a phone call from Tyler Perry. Huh? He offered you the role of Denise? Yes, I the, got that was my first. The role. crazy. Then I got a phone call. The crazy daughter. Huh? <laughs> no, no, no. Denise, Denise is the mistress. The role. Oh, that's right. That's right. The one that got beat up. That's right. That's right. That's right. Okay, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. So Denise, that was my first. He offered me that one, and then he, and then I got a phone call um, from a number I didn't know, and I didn't answer. And then I got a text, and the text said, "It's Tyler Perry here. I'm trying to reach you." <laughs> And I you was lying. Like, Come on. Stop, 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 Melissa. Stop. So you got a phone call. Ain't nobody calling you. Ain't nobody calling you. Yeah. And you have the audacity not well, to answer certain answer phone calls. I answer the numbers I don't know. <laughs> I, do you answer numbers you don't know? I answer everything. I'll tell you something. I answer everything. I know how to say no, sorry, I don't know you, bye. <laughs> I know how to say that real okay. quick, Melissa. Yeah. I'm telling you something. You better stop all that. I don't know that number. I'm not going to answer. Okay, because some of those calls come from offices, and the offices don't have uh, texting capabilities. Okay. Oh, is that what it is? Yes, ma'am. I'm telling you, I think that my for me, for me, um, this is how this is my my motto. uh If it's important and I don't have your number, say you'll leave a voicemail. And people always do. So I'm just like, otherwise, huh? Uh, I love you. I, I, I know some. I can't say anything. I can't say anything to you. You submitted yourself to the game with no representation, and got and got an audition, and you got your behind to Atlanta, yeah. and you got cast on the show. Yeah. So you got the tenacity. You got the drive. 
But if somebody call you from a number you don't know, answer it. Okay? Answer. It might be Rashawn. It might be Rashawn calling you. I might be calling you. Say, hey, Melissa, how you well, doing? Na- well, now that I know that <laughs> it might be you, I will always answer. Whatever. 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 Continue your fantastic story. Continue. I'm enjoying it. Come on. My listeners are enjoying so, it, too. Okay. So then he calls me. I, so I missed the call. I, I, I called him back. And he just starts, you know, talking right away because obviously he knows my number. Let me tell you something. Tyler Perry is a very smart man. He didn't say hello when I... When I called him, he just started talking. He said, all right, cool. I'm about to start my vacation, but I have a little time. And I said, hello? And he said, all right, cool. I'm about to start my vacation, but I have a little time. So you're playing Denise and my new show, The Oval. I really want you. And he just kept talking. And I was like, this is really Tyler Perry. (laughs) And so then I just listened. No, because I, listen, you have to remember, as an actress, right, we're used to going to auditions yes. um, and going home and going on with our lives. Because right. if you dwell on one audition, right. you will lose your mind. Right. So that's why I was like, yeah, I, I did audition for these things, but no way he's calling me right now. You right. know? Mm-hmm. So um, uh, he's calling me and he says all these things. He's like, I want you to play Ruth. I've been wanting to work with you for a long time. Um, I'm doing a spinoff, and I think that would be a better role for you, you know, for your range. And I just think you want, like, just think about it. Take time to think about it. I said, well, first of all, hi, Tyler Perry. <laughs> and then I said, <laughs> and then I said, yes. The answer is yes. And he's like, no, just think about it. You know, uh, it, it was 4th of July at that time. So he's like, just, you know, spend the holiday, think about it, uh, text me in the morning with your, with your answer. I'm like, did he just say, t- all right. So I said, you know what? Okay, Mr. Perry, I will pray on it, and I'll text you in the morning. Mm-hmm. And he said, okay. And I did that. And I but could you sleep, I, though? But could you sleep, though? Melissa. Our, in my spirit, it was confirmed. Uh, could you sleep, yes though? That's all I was going to know. You know, you got, <laughs> how fast can daylight come? <laughs> how fast right? can the morning come? I know. <laughs> I'm, I, was like, I was like those kids waiting for the first day of school with their hands on their, on their cheeks, just looking out the window. Uh-huh. That was me. I was like, come on, son, come on, let it be appropriate time, six, six, seven, seven a.m. It's appropriate. Hi, Mr. Perry, I'd like to roll through. Thank you so much. <laughs> and that's how it went. It was a text, and he texted me back, and he's like, sorry to blindside you, but this is going to be really fun. Thank you so much. Um, I'll be in touch with you. And I was like, whoa. Wow. Congratulations. What a, what a great story. So what a great story and an honest story. And your career is honest, based on honesty and supreme hard work and not letting people doubt you and not telling you that you're yeah. born in a certain area, you can't accomplish your dreams and you're willing to travel. Not just from Oklahoma, you went to Atlanta, a new area, Los Angeles. Like you said, all you arrived with was your dreams and determination. And then you came back to Atlanta mm-hmm. and, you know, still with your dreams and your determination. And that is a testimony yeah. that I want everybody to hear. But before we go, I'm talking to Melissa L. Williams. She's the star of the new Tyler Perry's Ruthless series. Tell us how and where is it coming on and when does it start? I know it starts March 19th. Tell us more details before we wrap That's it up, right. Melissa. Thank you so much, Rashawn, for saying that. And um, yes, it, Okay, so everybody, download BET Plus. It's a new streaming app for, for BET. Um, and you can get it anywhere, Android, Apple, Roku, just anywhere you can type it in on your phone, a smart device, you'll get BT Plus. And um, the show is called Ruthless, March 19th. See you there. Don't be late. <laughs>
My friend, uh, thank you for calling my show and thank you. I'm going to support you. You know I got you. You know I got your back. Okay, I got Tyler really Perry's back. You are a star. You, you. Don't change your hard work. That's a testimony that uh, I, when I look in the mirror, I, even when I'm tired, I realize I have to go on because God has gotten me up right. for that moment, and, I'm, and I should right. take advantage of it. And so you're taking advantage. Of, you're taking advantage of it every day in this new series called Tyler Perry's Ruthless. Again, I'm speaking to the star, Melissa L. Williams. Um, you listen to Money Making Conversations. If you want to hear more Money Making Conversation shows, go to moneymakingconversation.com. I'm Rashawn McDonald. I'm your host. <laughs>